Give me some love in 1966 is the year. Are you having trouble with hearing me? I'm noticing I'm not too loud here. So it's 1966. Let me see here. Am I coming in okay? I hate when the sound is, doesn't start off right at the beginning of the show. Anyway, welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. This is the Druff and Friend Show. I am Todd Dandruff with Tellus. We do not have a co-host at the moment, but we may pick up one later on tonight. Brandon Drexel-Gerson, who has made a sincere effort to be part of the show recently, is well, he has a previous engagement. He got a little confused as to the next show we were doing, next being this one. So he had a dinner planned, and he can't cancel it. So when he's done with dinner, he will call in, and if we're still on the air... Then we will put him on. Until then, it'll just be me unless somebody happens to jump in for co-hosting. Someone's saying cutting in and out so far. That's not good. This is a this is a new headset I have for when I'm at uh, a secret location. In this case, it's the Rio. I'm taking the phone off the hook right away because I I know if I don't take the phone off the hook, someone is going to call up and ask to be connected to my room. And it will ring during the show. People enjoy doing that. So uh, someone asking, is he going to have a nine-hour dinner? Of course he'll be here. Well, this is not going to be a nine-hour show because I'm not 100% tonight. As some of you might know who uh, were following my Twitter during the extended play No Limit event, I was having some issues with a cold and... I wasn't even sure if I'd be able to make the big 10K Limit Hold'em event that I'm going to be playing tomorrow, or that was on the schedule for me to play. The good news is I am going to be doing that event, and I am doing this show, but the truth is I'm not all better, and if I were to do an eight-hour program tonight, it would probably worsen everything, and I wouldn't feel as up to playing tomorrow as I should be. So I I don't want to overdo it tonight because of what's coming tomorrow. If it wasn't for what was coming tomorrow, I'd probably push it. But uh, I I was even considering skipping the show, saying, hey, I don't want this show to make the recovery recovery from the cold slower and then have that affect me tomorrow when I'm playing. So I decided if I can do the show for, I don't know, a few hours, that that will be sufficient. And then it shouldn't affect me too much. So if I'm still on when Brandon's done with dinner, then we will do that. Caller, you're on the air. Hello, Josh. Hi. So, who is calling here to this show? This is Danzo. Hey, I just want to let you know I'm sitting here taking a shit in the casino bathroom, and you sound real echoey. Huh. Maybe it's the echo in the bathroom. You ever think of that? Perhaps, but I just wanted to call either way and let you know. Okay. Well, I'll keep that in mind. So, thank you for letting me know. I'm wiping my butt right now, Josh. All righty. Well, I'm glad this is not a video call. Thank you. Have a, have a good day. So... I mean, I'll take listeners whatever way I can get them. If you're in the bathroom, if you're going to sleep, if you're at work, if you're on a lawnmower, I don't care. As long as you listen. I can't take seriously that I sound echoey in a bathroom. I think I'm supposed to sound echoey in a bathroom. So, I'm going to give the quick intro of the show. We have a free roll tonight that starts at 8.10 p.m. 8.10 Half an hour later, because the show was scheduled to start half an hour later, it is a $65 No Limit Hold'em free roll on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. Completely free to play. You don't even need play chips 
to enter the free roll. You just need to make a separate account on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, which you can find near the top of the screen on PokerFraudAlert.com. The only thing you need to win the free money besides that account is a forum account registered in 2012 or 2013. If you don't have a forum account, that is the Poker Fraud Alert forum, registered 2013 or earlier, then you need to email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, and convince me you've been listening to the show for at least three weeks by telling me things that were in the show that we did not list in the show description. And if you do that, I will grant you a lifetime exception to win the money, no matter what your register date was on the forum. I do this to keep people away who just enter the free roll to win the money and have no interest in the show or the forum. If you want to call in tonight, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You can also text me on that same phone number, 775-372-8355. You can text me before, during, or after the show. If you don't want to call that number and you want to call a 702 number, you can. I have the Mount Charleston line. Mount Charleston is a mountain that is near Las Vegas. It's about 30 minutes away, actually more like 45 minutes away by car. I actually heard two dealers at the World Series talking to one another on break, and one was saying, if you can find some time off, go visit Mount Charleston. So I'm not the only one pushing Mount Charleston here, but I have an old 70s rotary telephone sitting on top of Mount Charleston, and it forwards to wherever I am. And that phone number is 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808. No matter which number you call, you have to show your caller ID. If you don't, you won't get through. You'll probably get a busy signal. If you call and I don't answer, don't worry about it. All that means is that I am busy with something else on the show at the moment. So just try back in 15 minutes or so if that occurs. If you want to get a hold of me during the show, the best way probably is to text me. Um, if you say stuff in the chat room, which I haven't even mentioned yet, the chat room is near the top of the screen. Click the chat button on PokerFraudAlert.com. You can talk with the other listeners of the show, but I don't participate too much during the show, so it's mainly to talk to them. You need a flash-enabled device to go into the chat room, meaning no iPhones or no iPads, and you also need a forum account that is in good standing. So... T-Bucks asking, how do I get a landline to connect up there? They have wires for landlines in a lot of places. And as long as there is a reason for a landline somewhere in the immediate area, then you can get another one. So, that's a little intro here. I'm going to uh, give you the agenda tonight, and then I will go on doing the show. Of course, the main stories we've been covering for the last few weeks has been the World Series, because that's the big thing going on in poker during the month of June. I have six things to discuss tonight about the World Series. Number one, I returned to play the World Series after a break. I left Vegas for a while after the near cash that I had at the 3K Limit Hold'em event on June 8th. And I left for a while, and I returned to play on June 20th, the Extended Play No Limit Hold'em event. I got sick during the event, but I managed to min-cash. I'll talk about that. Also during the event, something that has not been talked about very much at all, but I think deserves a lot of discussion, and that is if you are playing in the same room as a final table, which 
I see a call's coming, which I'll take in a second, uh, which is typically Hello? the Amazon room. Yeah, hang on, caller. Then what happens is that you end up being distracted by a lot of cheering and noise of the final table. Now, usually it's just an occasional cheer or an occasional bout of noise, and you can get over it. It's no big deal. But during the extended play No Limit event, there was singing, screaming, chanting for hours at a time. It was very, very distracting, and everyone hated it. It has not really been covered at all anywhere in the media, so I'm going to talk about that. Caller, you on the air. Um, I want to report a scammer in poker, please. Uh, go ahead. Um, the scammer is named Todd Dandruff Wittellis. You know this person? I, I might. Go ahead. How has uh, Todd scammed you? Um, you were a scammer because you were free rolling your people that um, invested in your tournaments. Really? Okay, how, uh, how is my, I doing, how is I just, doing just, that? Just answer answer this one question, and we'll see if you're if you would have won the millionaire millionaire maker for one point two million, would you be taking the, any tournaments off after that? Right after that, um, it depends. Whatever the situation was, if I missed it or if I didn't miss it, you know, like I I, I took. <laughs> Do you think? You, so you would have just you would have just given all your shareholders extra shares of a one point two million dollars score. I would have. You, if you would it, have just. I would have played it. I know what you're trying to say here, and and actually because of this reason, I'm actually going to change this next year just so there cannot be any accusations about this, and also that, just so that's I don't. Free rolling. There's it, no way Todd not, you would have roll. ever okay. not played in that tournament yesterday. No chance but, in a million years that you, you would have won one point two million. You wouldn't have give everybody. Whatever the share price. But hang on a second. Hang on. I did the reverse here. I, I didn't play yesterday when I could have, even though right now the shareholders are down overall. So actually it would have been to my benefit to play yesterday, and I chose not to. No, it would not have. You're giving them more shares of a down product. It's not. It's to your benefit not to play. Just like if you would have cashed, I had a big cash. It would but have I didn't have a big cash. No, I'm talking about what actually happened, not if I won the Millionaire Maker. I'm talking about what actually happened. No, you're right. You're No, it pays you right now for every tournament you don't play, it's in your best interest and against the shareholders. That's actually not true. They are. They have a bigger piece of the losses or, that have already happened. If you would have won, they would have had a bigger piece of the winning. You're, you're, you, you're saying you two things at once. Okay, so you're people. saying two things at once. But let me, for the people that don't understand what he's trying to say here, I'll explain it so everybody fully understands. And I'm also changing this next year, so it, you know, so this cannot be a problem. I honestly didn't think of this when I came up with the, with the whole uh, way that the Trust payouts. Trust me, were if you would have won the 1.2 million this year, you would have thought I, about it. I would it. have because you I'm an honest person. Missed that's, that's, you would have never missed a tournament. You would have never missed a tournament because that would have cost you like 50 or 60, 70, I'm going to explain, okay, I'm gonna explain to people, just just to give you, you know, well, fairness, no I'm going to explain to everybody. rolled all your people. I'm going to explain to everybody, if you let me uh. take a second here. What he's trying to say is that the way that the investors, the, the way it worked, the way I had it set up with the investors to the events that I'm playing, the eight events I had scheduled, is if I miss a $1,500 event, that instead of refunding uh, a prorated amount to the people for not playing, they just end up with a bigger piece accordingly to uh, you know what that would have been. You know, basically, I roll their refund into the other events I did play, whether I won or lost them. What this caller is trying to say is that if I had already hit a big score, like, like in the Millionaire Maker, if I won 1.2 million, 
that I would have made sure not to miss any events because this would have pumped up people's pieces more than what they had originally bought. And, and this way they would have gotten even a bigger piece of me than they expected. So I would not have let that happen. I would have forced myself to play even if it was inconvenient or I did not feel well. Now, th- is it possible I could have done that? Yes. Now, this, this doesn't really matter because I haven't won the Millionaire Maker. All I've done so far is min cash one event. But Of course it matters. Of course it matters. Why, why does it matter? You free-rolled everybody. I didn't free-roll everybody because, you free because you're, you're everybody. Accusing, let me tell you the problem. You're accusing me of doing something that would be dishonest, but I haven't done it. I haven't done you it. You have done it. Every every event you don't play, you you are costing the you are giving them more of the garbage. True, I can't prove that if you would have hit the millionaire maker, you wouldn't have missed the same tournament. But I I would like to bet a hefty amount that that is the case because I, I, I know you I, and you would not. Give no, away. I would. When you know me, I've never stiffed anyone or cheated anyone in any way. And I'm not saying I'm no, not that, saying that would be that, cheating people. If I intentionally chose not to play with, with the way that you if, set this if up, if I intentionally chose not, not to play for that reason, that would be stiffing people. That, as you said, it's free rolling them. This is see, that's the whole point. I plan to play the events that I listed, regardless of what I did or did not cash up till then, and how this would have affected things. And the only reason I was going to skip them would be if I was sick, or if I were to miss the event uh, from. You know, another event that interfered with it, and you—I cannot prove okay, that's what I would answer, have done. Just answer my first question honestly. If you would have won 1.2 million, do you think you would have missed two 1,500 events this year? Yes or no? Yes, I would have. I, no, I would not have missed them. I'm, okay, I would not have intentionally missed anything. I would have. It would have come out the exact same way as it did for me not winning the 1.2 million event. So, so, so I, you're you're saying if you won the 1.2 million and everything else happened the same after that, you would have still missed the two 1,500 that you missed. Yes, I would have. I call bullshit. Well, I you can call, call bullshit, bullshit all you want, but I'm, I'm telling you the truth. That's I the will call. But, okay. But next next That's year, next we'll year it will we'll be different. The, we'll let the we'll let the listeners next decide next year it will be different anyway. So this won't be an, this will be an issue. So this won't be an issue. Okay. So you can accuse me of doing it before. I'm just, I'm just saying you're accusing me of doing you, something I haven't. You would have. You would have. That just, never came up. It, it would have cost you. It would have cost you fifty thousand to take that. I understand what you're saying here, but I would have done it to be honest with you. And I don't believe I don't believe you would just give fifty thousand away for no reason. It wouldn't be for. No it would be to be honest with the people who bought it. Knowing you and hearing how you, how your views on different things, I don't think you're going to give fifty thousand away. I wouldn't give fifty thousand away for nothing. Play. I would, I would stick to whatever. I think you, I think you would play was. three tournaments at one time just to register to no, make sure true. that didn't you're, you're happen. Just, you're, you're, if you were in in simultaneous events, you would have registered for the fifteen hundred. And they're don't, no, you, they, you keep you saying the same thing over and over in different not. ways, but I'm trying to tell you that this would not have happened, and there's no way I can prove it because it didn't happen, and there's no way to, to right. go to an alternate Fair universe enough. and prove it. All right. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you. So, yeah, he's, he's basically trying to say, I came up with a flawed scheme, which I only realized kind of very recently when I thought about it. I, I honestly didn't think of this. When I came up with a scheme of, okay, I'll just roll missed events into uh, whatever people have of the – events that I am playing, whether I win or lose them, and even retroactively, I didn't think about what if I hit something really big closer to the beginning. Are people going to suspect that I'm going to knock myself out not to miss events if, uh, you know, if it will be to my benefit to play them, to not have to give people bigger pieces? And then the reverse, if I'm not doing well, that... Uh, I'll make sure to miss events to give people bigger pieces of the ones I already lost. Uh, first of all, as I said to him, I wouldn't feel right doing that. That just wouldn't be honest because uh, 
I would only feel good about doing this the way I stated I was going to do it. But next year I'm going to change it just so there can't be any accusations like this. And I thought of that already. I hadn't announced it yet, but I thought of that already. The next year I'm not going to do it this way. So there won't be any further controversy about this. And fortunately there's not any kind of real controversy anyway. I guess fortunately and unfortunately because I haven't cashed anything big. Uh, the bigger events are at the end. The, really the big event is at the end, the 10K limit. And that's the second to last one in the whole package. So obviously I can't go retro, retroactively go back and purposely not play certain events when that was the one most likely to produce a big cash. So uh, that was the way I, I, you know, I didn't even think about this whole thing in that manner because I wasn't thinking about, like, here's a way I can free roll people or, or screw people. I was only thinking about it in a way of, like, let's reduce the headache of giving micro-refunds of $9 a share if I can't make certain 1,500 events, which I thought would probably happen from, like, scheduling conflicts or maybe even if I get sick. Like, I didn't play the one that was uh, yesterday because I was sick and I had played two long days. And actually, by not playing that, people did get a bigger piece of the one I did cash in. And that was a point I was trying to make to him, too. It wasn't a large cash, but uh, I still didn't play when knowing that not playing would give people an extra percentage of the one I did cash. So because I didn't play yesterday, whoever did invest in me is going to get more money from me pseudo-min-cashing the extended play no limit. So... Anyway, there's, there's no way for me to prove this. I understand what he's trying to say. But it was not intentional the way it was set up. It ended up not mattering because of the first six events on the schedule, there were no big caches. And next year it won't be this way. So much ado about nothing. There was no kind of intentional free roll here. This guy, by the way, who called in, I know who it is. He didn't invest in me either. So it's not even someone who invested and was unhappy about uh, being free-rolled. This was just someone who examined the scheme and decided that uh, he thought I was trying to pull a fast one. So as I said to him, I can't prove it. I, ca I can't say, hey, if I won $1.2 million in the Millionaire Maker, that I may have missed events anyway. I, I can't prove that because I didn't win $1.2 million in the Millionaire Maker. And there's no way we can go into an alternate universe where I did. So... I can't prove it. It's like if someone says, hey, Todd, I know if you found a dead body lying in the hallway and in the dead body's hands was $50,000 cash, I know you'd steal it. I know you would take that guy's $50,000 if, he, if he's dead anyway. And I'd say, no, I wouldn't. And he'd say, oh, no, I know you would. I totally know you'd take that fifty k. Well, uh, there's no way to produce that scenario. So I could say I wouldn't, but there's no way to prove I wouldn't. But I wouldn't. And the reason I wouldn't do it is it's not right and I wouldn't feel right about it. But fortunately, there's no kind of real world, real world controversy with this because there were no big caches. So, and, and I did have a min cache, so you can't even say that I'm missing events just to make people pay more of those. By me missing the one yesterday, people actually got more money. 
Not a lot more, but some more. All right, let's go back to the uh, agenda. So the playing cards, we talked about them on a previous show. There's a controversy about the Modiano playing cards that they are of poor quality and very, very easy to unintentionally mark just through regular play, through uh, accidental scratching, accidental bending. And, of course, people could purposely do these things, too. So there, there was a lot of controversy. In fact, during the Deuce to Seven No Limit event, there were complaints that there were so many marked decks that they just kind of gave up and, and kept using them. They stopped, request, they stopped replacing them because it was happening so often. Well, the cards are going to be replaced, finally, more than through the midway point of the World Series. I'll talk a bit about what's going on with all that. Olivier Bousquet Twitter-shamed over something Kevin Durant tweeted. I'll talk about what's that, what that is about. We have two double bracelet winners so far in the 2015 World Series. Max Pescatori and Brian Hastings. So you would think that these two are going to be neck and neck as far as winning World Series of Poker Player of the Year if nobody else manages to win two bracelets. But no, neither of them are in the top three right now. (laughs) Finally, the World Series of Poker has listened to the complaints and they have changed the structures in the smaller buy-in limit events. This will not affect the one I'm playing tomorrow. At least I don't think it will. But uh, people complained that there was too much meaningless or semi-meaningless play at the beginning and not enough play later and that the events were taking too long for what the buy-in was and for what time people wanted to spend playing these events. So in response, the World Series has tweaked the structures. I'll talk about how that has been done. Doyle Brunson's Twitter has been hacked. I don't know if it has been unhacked yet. Let me take a look. Let me take a look here if it's been unhacked. I think it's, uh, what is it, text dolly? I think it's twitter.com slash text dolly. Oh, yeah. Um, so apparently Doyle has his account back. And he's cleared off every single one of his tweets. All you can see is one tweet from Doyle saying, I think I have my account back. Little creep from Georgia hacked me. Hashtag not good. So Doyle Brunson, age 82, got hacked. And we'll talk about some of the things that were written on his account when the hacker had control. Brian Mikon, former chairman and let's face it, owner of Seals with Clubs, a Bitcoin poker site, and a former radio co-host and website co-owner with me, has returned to the United States tomorrow at 9 in the morning. He's going to be in court facing the charges of running an unlicensed gambling site. I'll talk a bit about what we can expect from Brian Mikon's hearing and what penalties I think he's going to face. Always seems to be controversy about security at the Rio. Last year there was a lot of it, but it was much ado about nothing. A lot of the, I should say, all of the complaints about Rio security, both in the room and outside the room, turned out to be 
likely false with very shady and partial and perhaps fabricated stories that people made up to suit their own needs. This year, it looks like we might have another one of them. A Rio guest claims security opened up his safe when he was not in the room and a stranger was in the room without checking the ID of the person requesting for the safe to be opened. Yeah, so you leave money in your safe, you think it's pretty secure, you're not in your room, a stranger's in your room, and he calls for security to open the safe saying the password was forgotten and they just open it without checking ID. Did this really happen is the question, and we will analyze that here on the show. Finally, the World Poker Tour has been sold to a Chinese gaming company. We'll talk about what that might mean for the World Poker Tour. So let's take a look at a few things before we get started here. By the way, the free roll began seven minutes ago. You can still get in, or sorry, two minutes ago, but you can still get in until 8.35. Let's see if we got any text here on 775-372-8355, 775-372-8355, from the 915 area code Mumbles Badly here. That's his screen name, Mumbles Badly. That caller who accused you of free rolling sounds like he has a beef with you. IMO, a bitter hater. No, he doesn't have a beef with me. This guy just likes to argue. I know who it is. Uh, it's it's someone who used to play a lot of Limit Hold'em as well, though I don't think we played very much together. And he does listen to this show a lot, but he does so very critically, and he likes to argue with me about things that I say that he does not agree with. He's even argued with me privately to where it's just me and him going back and forth on text. So it's not really a hater. It's just, it, as I said, it's just someone who likes to argue and I, I think he believed he was dropping a big bombshell here that I was free-rolling people. But really, the whole thing was unintentional, and fortunately, no accusations like this can even be made, because right now we're kind of <laughs> exactly at the spot where I had a small cash, so there wasn't an incentive for me not to play the last one, and I didn't have any large caches, so there wasn't any incentive for me to make sure to play. So I guess in that way it was fortunate I've done the way I've done so far. Let's see. From the 912, have Drexel call the Iceman. From the 410, show just starting. How does your throat feel? That's from uh, Scott from Maryland. I saw him yesterday in the hallway. From the 412 area, uh, Druff, can I please be admitted to the free roll? Thank you. I'm calling in later. I'm not sure who you are, but uh, if you don't meet the qualifications, please email dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com and convince me you've been listening for the last three weeks. Druff, fire up the Periscope app for tonight's show. I don't understand. Why do we need the Periscope app? This is just a radio show. Why do you need the Periscope app to have me broadcasting on there? Is that really necessary? I don't know why people keep requesting that. Scott from the East Coast also wants me to read this. He sent this to me yesterday. Epic fail again at the Rio. I go to sign up for cash games and show my employee badge for Caesars Entertainment. I guess he uh, he works for Caesars only to get told that I must have a player's card to play. So this is something new I learned, that to play cash at the Rio, you need a player's card, which I think is ridiculous. I understand for the World Series you need a player's card because they need to keep track of you, but cash should be anonymous. You shouldn't have to have a player's card to play cash at the Rio. I don't need a player's card to play cash at Commerce or any other card room I know of. So apparently you need a cash a, a player's card to play cash at the Rio, and even his employee card for the same company was not good enough. So he was pissed about that. 
And let's see here. I guess that's about it. Seven seven five three seven two eight three five five. Oh, this guy is. Uh, this guy is what is his name from four one two? I got into the free roll. I more than qualified. He says. <laughs> Glad it. Nice of him to say that. Well, I'll have to uh, take a look. I know he's posted some on the forum, so he's not really just a free roll whore. But I have to. I'll have to make sure. I'll have to take a look. See if he qualifies. We'll see if he wins anything. Jay Stat said that he should have periscoped me on the Periscope app while he was at the World Series and saw me there. See, in the chat room, Frank Rizzo saying, Mike on will have to work in a homeless shelter for four months full-time. I don't know if he means that'll be the restitution Mike on has to give. Uh, wonder if Druff is showing up at the courthouse. Him and Drexel should get T-shirts made. See, I've heard that. I keep hearing people telling me I should show up at the courthouse. Uh, now, first of all, I don't believe you are allowed to audio tape or videotape the court proceedings. So uh, that would be one problem is that uh, we'd observe it for ourselves, but we wouldn't get to record anything anyway. And I, I'm just kind of concerned. I, I have to say I am interested in seeing the court proceedings, but I'm a little concerned if I show up, it'll look like I'm trying to needle him and it'll look really bad. It'll give the wrong message. You know, speaking of giving the wrong message, in 2009, when I was at the ESPN TV table for the main event on day two, and that's because Phil Helmuth was at the table. So I was on the TV table, and I decided to ask Phil about the UB scandal, which was ongoing. And Phil didn't want to answer me and was giving stupid responses, and I kept calling him out. I even made a joke about him being able to see my cards. So eventually I was warned by the tournament staff who wanted to protect Phil that I'm not allowed to talk about UB anymore, or otherwise I'm going to get a penalty, which would have basically busted me because I was short-stacked. So I had to stop. I also knew that none of this would be making on ESPN. I knew they would be editing this out, and they did. Even though I talked about it during a hand I knew would probably get on TV and did, they, they cut it from the broadcast. So when I busted out, I had a set of threes. Helmuth made a flush on the turn, and I busted. When I was walking away from the table, Phil stuck out his hand to shake my hand. Now, I didn't feel like shaking his hand at the time, given everything that had been going on with UB, and given the, the answers that he gave me at the table, but I knew that if I didn't shake his hand on the way out, that to everyone viewing me on TV, I would look like a sore loser. It would look to everyone who didn't see the UB exchange that I refused to shake his hand because he busted me out, and I was bitter about it. So I made sure to shake his hand. Similarly, I, I'm afraid that if I were to show up to Mikon's hearing... People would know that you know, he and I had a falling out. And people would think I'm there either because I was cooperating with the prosecution, which I haven't been. I've never been in contact with the prosecution in any way, shape, or form. And they also might think that I'm there just to enjoy what's going on, to kind of rub it in his face, to, to be there as he's at a court hearing for a criminal case. So, for that reason, I think it's better I don't go. I just think the appearance of it will be very bad. Now, if any of you want to go, feel free. I'm not saying don't go. I'm saying I don't think I should go. And I, I you know, it's up to Brandon what he wants to do. Uh, 
And, and T-Box saying in chat, well, what would you want to be there for? I, I'd want to be there out of curiosity. I mean, uh, I, obviously, I was friends with Mike on for years. And then the friendship ended very badly. And yes, obviously, I'm curious about someone who was once a good friend of mine and isn't anymore. Of what is happening at this court hearing. I'm very curious about it. That's why I would go. I wouldn't go there to rub it in his face. In fact, I wish I could go there and be invisible. If someone gave me something I could rub on myself to make myself invisible and just be able to watch without being seen, that would be ideal. I actually would prefer that I'm not seen there so it would not be taken the wrong way by MyCon or anybody else that is observing. Anyway, let's go on to the uh, the main topics here. I came back to the World Series to play on August 20th at noon. The extended play No Limit Hold'em. What is the extended play No Limit Hold'em? Well, it's a it's just like a regular No Limit Hold'em event, except the levels are 90 minutes instead of 60. And it's $1,500 buy-in. You get, you get 7,500 chips to start. So I thought this was going to be very popular. I thought the extended play No Limit was going to be like another monster stack. The monster stack got so many people entering. It's also 1,500 buy-in, both last year and this year because people enjoy the fact that they have more play. A lot of people don't like the World Series events because you have to get off to too fast of a start, and if you don't, then you bust. You end up very short-stacked. So people love the idea of a monster stack event where you start out with way more chips and you get a lot more play in. And it's not as dependent upon running really well in the first few hours. So I thought the extended play No Limit event would get a large crowd, especially since it was on Saturday and there really wasn't that much competing with it. Well, the extended play No Limit event went off and what kind of response did it get? It got 1,900 or so players. That's not very much by today's standards. Keep in mind the monster stack gets seven or eight thousand. The Colossus got twenty-two thousand, though some of them were rebuys, but still over fourteen thousand unique players entered the Colossus. But at least the Colossus, you could say, okay, that's a third of the buy-in. But the monster stack, which is the same buy-in, got a few times the number of people entering as the extended play. I didn't understand that because they both have a similar premise to them basically a $1,500 No Limit World Series event where there is more play. It was suggested to me by a user of the forum that the reason the Extended Play No Limit event failed to get a very large response and kind of had a field similar to what you'd expect for a regular No Limit event on Saturday was that it had a very bad name, and I agree. You say extended play, no limit, and most people have no idea what that means. I mean, I guess you can kind of figure it out, but it's not something that grabs your attention. You hear monster stack, you go, wow, monster stack. That means I get a a big stack. Wow, that sounds cool. Like, monster stack grabs your attention. Colossus grabs your attention. Extended play, what does that even mean? What does extended play really mean? You have to look up what that means. 
Monster stack's obvious. You start out with a bigger stack. But what does extended play mean? It just wasn't a good name. So I, I guess some people even may have feared that it was some other form of poker. Extended play, no limit. Like, oh, is there some kind of poker called extended play poker? Oh, I don't know how to play that. I'm not going to answer this. So I think it just was poorly named. I also think it's just not as appealing to have a longer time to play a regular stack than to have a shorter time to play a big stack, which I think is foolish. But anyway, I like the event. I liked having more play, and, and part of this is because I have a style in No Limit that I'm not getting it in a whole lot with in risky spots, shall I say. So I I don't accumulate chips early that often. Now, I'm not trying to fold to a min-cash or anything. I'm not afraid to play. I'm not afraid to bluff. I'm not afraid to play hands. I'm saying that I'm not one of these people who just is super aggressive and either accumulates chips really fast or busts. That's, that's not me. So I felt the extended play would be a style would be a type of event which would benefit my style. Unfortunately, what did not cooperate for the extended play event was life circumstances outside of poker. Uh, first of all, we had I had something going on back at home that I'm not going to get into, but I, I got a call about uh, some problems occurring that I had to deal with immediately at home. And no, it wasn't my girlfriend cheating on me or anything like that. It wasn't any problem in my relationship. But uh, there were some problems that were occurring that I had to deal with during the event. So I had to keep, like, jumping up after every hand I didn't play and go to the side and, and talk on the phone. And I was trying not to miss hands, but, you know, it was it was very distracting for the first two hours or so. But I, I did manage to, like, not miss any hands, I believe, right? Maybe I missed one. And it was something that couldn't wait, something that had to be dealt with right then. So that was that was the first thing that was hindering me. But but it wasn't stopping me because I was actually rising up in chips right from the beginning. So I got off to a, a, a good start and just kept rising. So that definitely didn't stop me from doing well. And when I went to dinner, which was after uh, six hours of play, I had 38,000 in chips from the starting stack of 7,500. I wasn't the chip leader, but I was I was up there. It was definitely off to a good start. Uh, unfortunately, the bigger problem occurred while I was at dinner. I, I went and got dinner. Everything seemed fine. I came back and sat down, and some things felt wrong. My stomach was hurting. I thought, oh, it's, you know, it's the Rio food messing with my stomach. But that wasn't, that wasn't really what it was. Um, I felt really, really tired. Super tired. And I had remembered that when I woke up in the morning, despite eight hours of sleep, I felt tired. And I couldn't understand it. And I felt congested, and I felt cold, and I felt hot, and I realized what was happening. I had a cold, and the symptoms were hitting me right then, right after the dinner break. And boy, it was, hard, it was very distracting and hard to play that way. And I still have this cold, and that's why I almost didn't do this show tonight. So the symptoms hit me the hardest, really, that night after dinner. I also just didn't run well. I, I was... Uh, I took some awful beat. The worst beat, one of the worst beats I've ever taken as far as the ridiculousness of the way the hand went down. Uh, 
basically this is what happened. Um, it, it was a three-way pot where I was the aggressor and I also had position. I had ace-king. The flop came down, king-9-4 with two hearts. A short stack was an awful player. This guy looked like a, he kind of looked like a, a bum. He had a really long beard. He wore a, a hat with feathers in it. He looked like he hadn't showered in a long time. He was an older guy. He had a really weird and random play style. He was like limping with every hand, whether good or bad. And and you never knew, you couldn't put him on a hand, but not even like in a good way. The guy just kind of ran him and didn't know what he was doing. So the board was king nine four with two hearts. There was this bad player who was direct, directly to my right, and another guy who I also had position on across the table. And it checked to me. I made a three thousand chip bet. The good player called. And the bum-looking guy went all in. But not even all in enough for me to re-raise. He went all in for 4000 So all I could do was call by the rules there. So I had to call the other 1000 so did the other guy. The turn was a, an off-suited three. Remaining guy checks. I go all in thinking he's got a flush draw. If he doesn't, I couldn't, you know, with the stacks we had, there's no way I could get away with my hand, get away from my hand at this point anyway. I went all in. He folded. Turned over my ace-king. The bum-looking guy turned over. Pocket threes. <laughs> <laughs> to have turned a set. So he went all in on a king-nine-four, two-heart board against two players with pocket threes. And he check-raised all in. He didn't even shove all in. He, he check-raised all in. And he gets the three on the turn. I've been too outed before, but just the fact that he thought he was good there to check raise it in the flop with me and another guy in for all these chips on king nine four two hearts. I mean, what 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 possible hand is he beating with two people in with king nine four two hearts in the flop with pocket threes? So that that cost me some chips that one, and I just didn't do well. So I went in short stacked into day two. Uh, ran it somewhat back up But never got back to average And uh, Then got really card dead slipped all, Took some beats Went all the way down to 12k When it got closer to the money bubble Looked like I was done for Went all into ace 8 Ran into ace king Flopjack 9-4 And then turned the 8 To turn the 3 outer Stayed alive Doubled up again against somebody else Ran it back up to 90k Cashed. Then I ran ace king into aces, and uh, everything went downhill from there. I lost every hand, and ended up with a three thousand one hundred seventy-eight dollar cash, which is the second level min cash. So not that exciting, but at least I cashed in this World Series. This is now the eleventh World Series I've played, and I've cashed in all eleven World Series. I'm not saying that's something spectacular. I've played enough events to where it's not surprising I cashed once each year, but I don't play so many to where I'd have to cash. Like, I, there's a lot of years I just play, uh, you know, fewer than 10, including this year. So easily one year, if you run bad, you, you can just not cash in any. But I have cashed again, so I've got the no-cash monkey off my back. I wasn't trying to min-cash or anything, by the way. I wasn't uh, playing scared. 
But it, it does feel good that when you have a cash out of the way and you know that you're not going to go over in the whole World Series. So the big one's coming tomorrow. I, I didn't play the next one the next day because it was two long days of poker and I was sick. So definitely did not feel up to playing yesterday. So I skipped that one. The Now because I skipped that one and, and also missed the other 1500 no limit because of uh, making day two of the 3K limit. Now people who owned whatever they own of me, they own 15% more than they did before. So if you own 4% of me, now you own about 4.6% of me. So now 46% of me has been sold for the, the big one coming up for the 10K limit event. And we'll see what I can do there. You have to get cards to win these. If I if I run bad, I'm not going to cash here for sure. But uh, hopefully I can do something with this one. There's there's a myth about the 10K limit that it's all top limit hold'em players. And there are a lot of top limit hold'em players there. But there's a surprising number of people who do not know limit hold'em very well. Last year, even though I did horribly in that event and went out within uh, the first few hours, I was one of the first ones out. Uh, I was at a great table. There were some people who were just giving their chips away, but then they were hitting hands. So, yes, I could end up at a bad table, but every year I've played this, I've been pleasantly surprised by the poor quality of play of certain players at my table of the 5 and 10K limit events. So, I, I don't know why these people are entering these big events if they don't really know how to play limit well, but they are. So... I have to hope to get more of those people and fewer of the Limit Hold'em All-Stars who will also be in this event. I was encouraged that a lot of the people I normally see, the good players uh, at the World Series Limit events, I, a lot of them were absent from the 3K Limit Hold'em, which kind of surprised me, but a lot of the people I expected to see around were not there. So I'm, I'm hoping that happens again. I'm hoping that, for whatever reason, some of these people are staying away. So that's coming up tomorrow at 4 p.m. Follow at Dandruff Poker if you want to see my progress with that, though the first few hours probably won't matter that much. But you never know. I went out the first few hours last year, so I guess it can matter. So during the Extended Play No Limit event, there was a final table going on. I was in the Amazon room, which is where they do the final tables. And... There was a, I think it was the 3K No Limit event final table that was going on. Yeah. uh, This was a guy who plays online as X the Decano X. That's X T H E D E C A N O X. His real name, it kind of sounds like it's Japanese, but he's Brazilian. His name is Thiago Nishijima. Sounds very Japanese, but he's a Brazilian guy. So they were running this final table. This is the uh, 3K No Limit event. The headline from Poker News, I'm reading it right now, June 21st, 2013, two days ago. Brazilian Thiago Nishijima wins WSOP gold to the delight of summer's most raucous crowd. Well, that's that's an understatement, most raucous crowd. That, this crowd was so obnoxious... And I could not stand being in the same room trying to play poker with this crowd screaming the way they were. 
Now, I mentioned this on Twitter, and some people were uh, taking me to task for it. Some people are saying, hey, you know, who are you to tell people not to cheer? This isn't golf. People can cheer if they want. Just get over it. There's cheering, and then there's screaming and just being obnoxious and making noise constantly for hours. They were screaming. They were singing. They were chanting. It was going on and on and on for hours and hours and hours and hours. Now try to imagine being right next to that and trying to concentrate on a World Series of Poker bracelet event and hearing that. And this was day two, by the way. So you're trying to concentrate on this uh, on your this event you paid for, and you paid a healthy amount of rake to play. You paid 10% rake. You're trying to concentrate and do well, and you're hearing that, and you can't hear yourself think. It is so loud that while it was going on, if you tried to talk to someone else at the same table, they couldn't hear you. You had to wait till there was a break in the screaming and singing and chanting to say something to someone at the table. That's how loud it was. Someone at the table also pointed out this is kind of unfair to those who are at the final table. That one guy could have tons of really, really loud and obnoxious people in the stands constantly making so much noise and distracting the other players. And I agree. It was almost like this Brazilian guy who ended up winning had the home field advantage, even though he wasn't in his home country. This is what Nishijima said about this crowd, he said he was thankful for the droves of Brazilians that turned out to cheer for him. He said, I have to thank for all the Brazilian support. There are a lot of people here, thousands more supporting me in Brazil. Special thanks to my girlfriend, to God, to my family, and all these guys. <laughs> He's thanking God for this. It reminds me of Jerry Yang. But, I, I mean, so some people in the chat saying Druff is now the fun police. I, I wasn't the fun police. I, I'm fine with people having fun at the World Series watching these final tables. They should, and they should cheer for the person that they're here to rail. But not constantly to where there is very little break in the noise. It's bad enough to have a gigantic group that's super loud and obnoxious, but to have them singing and chanting and screaming for hours on end with almost no break is not fair to the other players at the table and especially not fair to the other events playing in the room. So my suggestion to the World Series, and I, I was hoping there'd be more support for this because uh, at the extended play no limit event, uh, everyone agreed that this was ridiculous. Everyone I talked to was unhappy about this. Everyone felt they couldn't hear themselves think. Everyone felt it was a distraction. Everyone felt that this is not what they were hoping to run into. You had to be there to understand it. I, I think some of you might be picturing that there is cheering when the guy won a hand and then I got mad about it because I'm old and bitter. No, it's not like that. This was constant, whether she was chanting, screaming, and it was so loud, and it was like, you know, 30 to 50 people in the audience doing this together, and we're right next to it. It's very hard to play that way. So I was hoping that maybe next year they could move these tables to a room by itself to where there's no events running in that same room. Why should we have to play in the same room as where this is going on? If you put it in a separate room, then let them scream as much as they want. I guess it's still bad for the other people at the table. But at least the other people at the table have an opportunity to bring their own people in to scream for them. But 
I, I didn't have the opportunity to have people scream for me in the extended play No Limit event <laughs> while that was going on. Nor would I have wanted that opportunity. If you pay to enter these events, you deserve to be able to play in peace. There should not be this constant distraction. I don't care if I'm interrupting other people's fun or being a killjoy. I want to play the event I played for or I paid for without massive distraction. I think that is reasonable for me to ask. Adam Schwartz, the uh, co-host of the 2 Plus 2 PokerCast, is listening live tonight. He said, attention drifts rail when he final tables the 10K limit. Please whisper. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I'm not asking anyone to whisper. I think that there should be cheering. You just shouldn't overdo it if there's other events in the room. If there's no other events, that's a different story. But when there's events running in the room, aside from that one, it has to be kept to a certain level. If you don't agree with me, then try playing under those conditions and then come back and tell me if you agree. Here's something I think most of you will agree. I think we're mostly upon a uh, mostly of a single mind on this one. The Modiano, I think that's how you pronounce it, or Modiano playing cards have been a source of controversy ever since they were introduced. The World Series likes to change things that are not broken, often for profit because they they get a partnership with a company that provides a certain product and they benefit from that partnership financially, so they force themselves to use that product even if the product's not that good. So they convinced themselves this year that the Madiano playing cards were just fine for the World Series and that they would switch playing cards from their previous cards, which worked out just fine, to these Madiano ones. And they said, oh, look like good cards to us. Well, they didn't test them. They didn't analyze them. They didn't uh, look at them very closely, which I feel was a big mistake on their part. And it turns out these cards have a lot of problem, and that is they get unintentionally marked very easily from people using them, bending them. I don't mean like bending them maliciously. I mean just you know bending them to look at them. Just from use, they end up with a lot of markings on them. People were very angry at the Deuce to Seven No Limit event when every deck, it seemed, was marked in some way. And they didn't believe intentionally. They just thought every deck got marked just from use. And they were having a hard time coming up with any decks that didn't have some kind of markings. So I'm going to read you a tweet that came from Jesse Martin, who has a bracelet. And he's a he's been around poker for quite some time. Plays a lot of World Series events. This is what Jesse Martin had to say during the Deuce to Seven No Limit event. Let's see here. Actually, I, I don't have that exact tweet in front of me right here, but he, but he basically said that uh, he could tell, he could, quote, see the cards, meaning face down, during the event, that he could actually tell what the cards were that his opponents had without even looking at them, except for the backs of them. So he, was, he brought this to the attention of the World Series of Poker at the time, as did others, and they actually continued playing this event despite the fact that it was acknowledged that they could not get a clean deck that didn't have these problems. 
they, they just kind of went on with it. After replacing the decks a few times, they kind of just went on and said, all right, well, the, these are the cards we have. Sorry, we got to finish it. So Jesse Martin was very unhappy about this, and he has taken it upon himself to really pressure the World Series to change the cards, as have several other people. So uh, finally the World Series listened and ordered some new cards for Mariano. They, you know, they raised the issue with Mariano saying, look, you know, your cards are insufficient, our players are very unhappy, this is causing a lot of controversy, can you please do something about this? So Mariano came back and said, okay, we have manufactured some thicker cards that you can now use and we're going to ship them over to you at the World Series, and they did. So th- now they're just starting to introduce these into the World Series, the thicker Mariano cards that are supposedly not going to have these problems. And uh, Ty Stewart, the World Series of Poker director, said to Terrence Chan, who raised the issue as well, he said, we have an ample supply of the new cards, which is much better at 330 microns, thickest card we've ever had, that new card will be used. So 330 microns. Now, we're not talking about the same micron that's going to be appearing in court tomorrow at 9 a.m. That's a different micron. (laughs) (laughs) The micron we're talking about here is is a measurement, and... uh, He's saying that these are, are 330 microns thicker. Or, sorry, they're 330 microns, and that's the thickest they've ever had. So Jesse Martin was still unhappy. He said back, microns are not a measureful, a meaningful measure of card quality. So he said, I'm trying to stay quiet here, but this is false information. So he was very unhappy, basically saying, thickness is not the whole picture. If it can get marked on the surface easily, it can be the thickest card ever. It could be two inches thick, and it can still be marked. You want a card that isn't just thick, but also the surface of it is very tough and will not take marks on it. So Jesse's saying, hey, look, it's still going to be a problem. You, you think you've solved it, but you haven't. Thank, thank you for your effort, but you haven't solved it. So this is misleading. Don't, don't act like this is going to change everything there was a further controversy that occurred and by the way there's another problem with these cards and that was that the spades and clubs look too much alike and it's true I've, I've noticed this as well every time I have clubs or spades I have to like double and triple check my cards that they're really what they appear to be I also noticed the 7 is kind of hard to read it's not like a full seven. It's like a partial seven. So it looks weird. So a uh, this, this issue was also brought up, by the way, by David Bakes Baker. Now, this is not the David Baker I have a problem with. This is the other David Baker, the guy who, uh, the younger one. But he said, the current cards are fouled almost immediately after one hard bend. The edges can be manipulated at every point. I have been at tables where it was blatantly easy to see which cards have been touched by which players. Some players took a look at their cards at the corner, some at the side, and this translated into the change in the card structure that does not snap back immediately. In, er- in any given card game, the best cards, whether high or low, will be touched more than the worst, a natural part of the game. It doesn't take a keen eye to tell that at all after a couple hours of use which cards are good and which are bad. So he said, I'm, I'm, ba- I'm basically petrified to play against anyone who knows a thing about card marking. These cards could easily be marked up and down the side, bent slightly by rank, and no one would be the wiser given how they react to normal wear. So then Ty Stewart made a joke. It, you know, they, The World Series 
bigwigs are just not good at social media. They they just keep messing up. They they either say things that are offensive or they make jokes when jokes are not really appropriate. So the latter happened here. Ty Stewart tweeted, there seems to still be some issues with recoil. Now, we'd like you guys to stop folding them like paper airplanes, but think there's definitely something to the kind of cellulose acetate used by the former supplier that's unique. <laughs> so, so basically, he's telling people stop folding them like paper airplanes. So people got really mad saying, we're not folding them like paper airplanes. We're just uh, using them normally and they get messed up anyway. From the slightest bit of force, they get messed up. But how dare you say that we're folding them like paper airplanes? So he said, no, 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 I was just joking. But that's the wrong time to make a joke when for half the World Series, more than half the World Series, they've had cards that have allowed people who know about card markings to cheat, even if they weren't even trying to cheat. They could just cheat because of the way the, the cards ended up getting marked. Someone even brought up, is this a skill that you want to play in to success at the World Series. It's someone who can look at card markings, unintentional ones, have a better advantage to win at the World Series than someone who can't. David Baker also said, the cards were fine last year and people didn't just start squeezing a different way this year, meaning that nothing the players are doing this year is causing this. So um, Ty Stewart also apparently was angry that uh, David Baker was making his conversations with Ty Stewart public. He called it a private business matter. And Baker responded saying that the World Series of Poker should not have had problems finding a good card supplier in the first place. Ty Stewart said back, it's not that easy to find a company that can supply the quantities needed and also can put RFIG chips in the decks that they use for the live streams. But look, a few problems here. First of all, they have to really, really, really rigorously test any new cards they introduce to the World Series. They can't just take a quick look, go, ah, these look okay to me, and then just throw them in there. They did this eight years ago. It was a failure. They've got to test these in some way. At the very least, test them at circuit events or something where the stakes are lower and you can get a better feel for it. Ideally, they should test it when there's no actual event running, but at least test them in a lower stakes event initially to see how they, how they work how people like them. And if there's complaints, don't use them or fix the problems, but they can't just take a new brand of cards and throw it into the world series without really, really, really looking at it carefully. Second, when these problems are raised, if they seem to be legitimate problems, which they are in this case, and everyone will agree with that, they need to take immediate action. There's no reason the replacement card should be coming in on June 23rd. They should have been coming in on June 3rd, not June 23rd. They should have taken immediate action and told Matiano they're going to terminate the relationship if they don't immediately express over some better quality cards or just terminate the relationship anyway and bring back the old cards. Even if they can't get the money back from Adiano that they paid for it, just, uh, you know, Adiano, they have a big advertisement on every poker field at the World Series. So I'm sure they paid a pretty penny to supply the cards here. I don't think the World Series bought cards from them. I think they paid the World Series to supply the cards. 
But the World Series should have just uh, eaten that and gotten the cards people were used to that worked better from last year. It's one of these things, if it works, don't fix it. And if you fix it when it works, make sure it still works. And finally, don't make jokes about it. This is not a joking matter. It's not a laughing matter. The players can joke if they're affected by this negatively, but the, the ones who caused the problem should not be making a joke about it. Ty Stewart should not be making paper airplane jokes when people are playing with marked cards all over the place because the cards being used are substandard. That joke should not be happening. Let's take a look what the chat room thinks about this. T-Buck asking, how much salary would you require to be World Series of Poker Commissioner knowing that you wouldn't be allowed to play any events? Hmm. I'd have to think about that one. I, I would love to be a World Series of Poker Commissioner, though. I mean, it would kind of suck that I couldn't play any events, but if I was offered the job, I would definitely take it, even not being able to play events that year. I, I may not want to be commissioner forever, but I, I'd be willing to skip a year to be a one-year commissioner. And I, I think I could improve on a lot of these things. I, I'm not saying I'd make zero mistakes. I don't think anybody can run an event this big and make zero mistakes. So I'm not saying that if I were in charge, none of this would have happened. I'm sure some fail would have happened under my watch. But I, I think some of these things would not have happened if I were in charge. I think if you take someone who's not me that generally knows what the players want, like a Matt Glantz type, I think a lot of these things would not happen. But I think sometimes Caesars gets too obsessed with their marketing partnerships and then they end up shooting themselves in the foot operationally which has never been their strength in the first place. Caesars has always been very good at marketing, but operationally they've always been very poor. So anything that introduces further problems operationally through marketing is a recipe for disaster. Hockey guy saying, fuck you, Druff. That's very nice. JSTAT saying, Nevada Gaming Control will never say cheating occurred with the World Series cards if they did players like myself would demand refunds. Yeah, that's true, but I can understand how they can't call it cheating. One guy, Valerio Coca, who I believe did cheat. Everybody else, if you see marked cards that you did not mark yourself and it just happened to get that way, and you notice, oh, oh, hey, I noticed that my ace of spades looked just like this from the outside. This must be the ace of spades that my opponent's holding. Like, you can't not see that. It's not your fault if you can see that. You can't wipe your memory and say, okay, well... I see my opponent's holding the ace of spades, but I'm going to convince myself he's not, or he might not be, even though I'm clearly seeing he is from the back of the card. Like, you can't. If you can see it, you can see it. So I don't blame these players. Now, can I blame someone who's actively looking for this and really scanning everyone's cards to see if they can look for the markings? Yes, I can blame them. Yes, that's cheating, but it's, it's impossible to prove. As far as whether it's legal or not, I think it's not even illegal. If you're not the one who marked them, if you just notice cards are marked and use it to your advantage, I don't believe that you've committed any crime, not taken any action to make this happen. So, it's a really crappy situation. I mean, the fact that I heard that they had to go on with the Deuce to Seven No Limit event knowing that they couldn't get a non-fouled deck into the rotation was pretty bad. So let's move to the next topic. By the way, anyone in the chat that's getting a 
don't spam the chat message. That just shows up if you type the same thing like more than twice in a row. It doesn't mean you're really spamming, so just ignore it. Unless you really are spamming, then don't ignore it. I don't think I've heard from Brandon yet. He's probably still at dinner. This is a text I got from PSX120. I don't know if he's listening to the show or if he's just uh, reading my Twitter about the matter, but he tweeted to me, For fuck's sake, Druff, people aren't going to tone it down because you're shitty at concentrating. Well, if I'm shitty at concentrating, I guess that the entire field, that I, at least the ones I spoke with at the Extended Play No Limit event is shitty at concentrating. Everybody was unhappy about this. Everybody was saying, when's it going to end? Oh my god, this is awful. Oh, I can't concentrate. Like Everyone agreed that this was terrible. There was not one person who spoke up, eh, let them cheer, it's not that bad. No one said that. Everybody was unhappy. I think it's easy to sit at home and picture the curmudgeons playing the Extended Play No Limit who want to curtail the excitement at a final table. We sound like jerks, but it's not like that. It was really, really, really loud and hard to concentrate. I have a question for those of you that think I'm overdoing it on this. Uh, Have you ever heard an air horn? If you haven't, Google it, and you can probably find one on YouTube. I won't even play it on the radio because it'll probably blow out your ear. What if they had an air horn just constantly sounding in in the room for five hours straight? Could you play under those circumstances? Would that distract you? I think it would. Now, yes, this was not as bad as an air horn sounding, but I'm making the point that anything that's very, very loud and obnoxious and unnerving can make it tough to concentrate. And it doesn't have to be as bad as an air horn in the room to make it like that. So there's there's a happy medium between, you know, to where someone can cheer and to where someone can just make, uh, or a crowd of people can make, constant noise to where it distracts everyone else. That's my point. And if you could play good poker through an air horn in the room for five hours, then props to you, but I can't. So Olivier Bousquet, I always call him a limousine liberal. He and Daniel Coleman. And I call them that because they are very left-wing with their politics. And they like to speak out about their left-wing politics, and in fact, they will wear shirts to final tables expressing their political viewpoints. In fact, uh, Olivier Bousquet wore a shirt to a final table that said in large letters, Free Palestine, referring to the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. And some people gave him a hard time for that. You know, why is he using a final table to make a controversial political statement? Well, of all people, Olivier Bousquet, and I know Brandon brought this up last week, called out Phil Hellmuth, for thanking his sponsor, the Aria, after he won his 14th bracelet. And a lot of people defended Phil on this one, saying Phil has a right to thank his sponsor during his bracelet speech. If he wants to thank anyone he wants, he can thank them. Now, if he were thanking some horrible person or horrible company, if he thanked UB, then I can understand people giving him a hard time because UB was a scam company. But the Aria, there's nothing wrong with the Aria. The Aria is just a Vegas casino. He wanted to thank a company that sponsored him. Fine, let him thank the company that sponsored him during his speech. But people called Olivier Bousquet very hypocritical, the guy who felt it was his right to make political points at the final table, 
to say that Phil Hellmuth can't thank a sponsor at his bracelet event. People are saying, hey, look, it's the same thing. If you support your right to wear a shirt that says Free Palestine at the final table, then Phil Hellmuth has a right to thank his sponsor. Well, people have been needling Olivier Bousquet with a tweet from all people, Kevin Durant. Now, what does Kevin Durant have to do with poker? Is he going to be playing? No, at least not to my knowledge. Kevin Durant sent a tweet out saying the following. Just want to send a special thank you to Nike Basketball for selecting me to represent the brand. Dreams really do come true. Thank you. So Kevin Durant, one of the most famous basketball players in the world today, used his Twitter to thank his sponsor, Nike. And somehow Phil Hellmuth should not be doing that. Even though Kevin Durant can, for some reason, Phil Hellmuth should not be doing that during his bracelet speech. But it's okay to make political statements at final tables, according to Olivier Bousquet. He's very good friends with Daniel Coleman, who after winning $14 million at the one-drop event, that million-dollar buy-in one-drop event, had the nerve to say that poker shouldn't be glorified, that it's bad, that uh, the game is pointless. And yet this is how the guy makes all his money, which he's not giving away to anyone, by the way. He's not, he's not handing all his money away to charity after winning it. He wins the money. He keeps it. He, he lives an expensive lifestyle at a very young age that he could never have afforded if he didn't play poker. But yet he bashes poker and bashes poker players and bashes the fact that people lose at poker who can't afford it. Well, where do you think you got your money? It wasn't all from people who could afford it. So these two love to make their political and social points, but they always think that those same points don't apply to them. And that's what a limousine liberal is. That is someone who wants to hold a left-wing, for-the-people political sort of view, but then they don't live their own lives that way. They're constantly hypocritical. Are there hypocritical people on the right? Of course there are. There's big-time homophobes that are actually closet gays. There are uh, all kinds of, uh, of bigots and others you know, on the right who are hypocritical with their speech and with their beliefs. But there are plenty on the left as well. And these are two of them. Olivier Bousquet and Daniel Coleman are two limousine liberals, two left-wing hypocrites who don't ever seem to stick to the points of view that they express when it comes to their own lives. I can actually respect someone who has a different political point of view than I do if they live their lives that way. But I see them the same way that I would see someone who's always going off about racism this, racism that, oh, you know, we're all equivalent, you know, you know, always going on about racism. This is like a white person who's always complaining about racism and how terrible it is and then gets mad when their daughter dates a black guy. And there, there are liberals like that too who are all for equality, all for social justice until it affects them. I don't even think Olivier Bousquet and Danny Coleman realize that they're limousine liberals. Most of them don't actually. I, I think they really believe 
that they are on the right side of these political arguments and that they're using their increased visibility to express these viewpoints, to maybe get across to other people, to think more like them, to be on what they see as the right side of the argument. But they don't stop to look at the way they live their own lives. So Olivier Bousquet, who was attacking Helmuth because he was trying to say that Helmuth is uh, you know, just uh, using his bracelet speech to support a corporation. It's, it's one of these anti-corporate speeches here. You know, how, how could Helmuth be thanking a corporation during his speech? What kind of corporate sellout is he? Why should he have the right to do that? Well, the same reason that you feel you have the right to wear a shirt that says Free Palestine. In fact, I think it's much worse to wear a controversial political shirt to a final table than to thank a sponsor which is not going to offend anyone. There's no one who is out there listening to Phil talk saying, oh my God, you're thanking the Aria? I hate the Aria. Maybe a few who lost money at the Aria. But the Aria is not a very controversial sponsor to be thanking. That shouldn't have raised any eyebrows. If I wasn't at that speech, but if I was, I would have shrugged my shoulders. I wouldn't have cared. Let him thank the Aria if he wants. Who gives a crap? Take a look here in the chat. <laughs> There's people just fighting back and forth in the chat. I, I love it when like I, I want to see comments about the show and it's just fighting about the chat. And uh, Blue Odom, he finally said something useful in the chat. I mean, not nothing against you, Blue Odom. You usually say good things in the chat, but uh, the rest of the chat's kind of garbage. But uh, he says, Poker Stars changed the rules to prevent further political statements at EPTs. I, I didn't know that, but that's good. There shouldn't be, honestly. I mean, I'm actually against the political statements at tournaments like that. I don't think that has a place there. But if someone wants to thank their sponsor during a ceremony, let them. And I'm against political speech at tournaments on any side of the political spectrum. I don't think there should be left-wing political statements during final tables or right-wing political statements at final tables. I don't want to see any of that. It has no place. So... funny that Kevin Durant happened to tweet that during this whole thing, this unrelated thing between Olivier Bousquet and Phil Helmuth, that's actually quite similar. So we've had two players in the World Series who've done quite well. We've had uh, Max Pescatori, a longtime fixture in the tournament scene from Italy. He's won two bracelets. And Brian Hastings, who's just been so hot recently in poker, he's won two bracelets. So good for them. They they did a good job. I have no issues with Brian Hastings or Max Pescatori. I don't know them very well, but I haven't heard anything bad about these guys. I feel that both of these guys deserve to be the top two in the player of the year standings for the World Series. It makes sense. Only two guys and two bracelets. They should be the top two, right? I mean, I can't think of anybody else who deserves to be ahead of them. Can you? If, if the World Series ended today should be World Series player. Who's kicking ass at the 2015 World Series? You'd get... These two would be the answer from everyone. Everyone would say Max Pescatori and Brian Hastings. That would be the answer from just about everyone who's been following it, that the two most successful people have been those two. So where are they in the 
horrendous player of the year standings as computed by the Global Poker Index, which is also a new marketing partner with the World Series. Well, Max Pescatori is number four. (laughs) Brian Hastings, maybe he's above him, three, two, or one. Nope, he's number five. (laughs) Not only that, but they're way behind the leader. There's kind of a clump from number two through number seven where they all have similar point values. Uh, Phil Galfons currently is at 13.05 in number two. And then the number seven is Mike Gorodinsky, who's got 12.40. So they're all kind of close between 12.40 and 13.05 from seven to two. But number one, Paul Volpe is 1,631 points. So somehow if Paul Volpe has 1,631 points and the two guys who won two bracelets are like 350 points or more behind him. So let's take a look at how Paul Volpe has done in this year's World Series. Obviously, he's done well, but let's see how much more deserving he is this year to win Player of the Year than Max Pescatori and Brian Hastings. Paul Volpe has cashed five times. He has a 12th place in the 10K Deuce to 7 triple, ball, triple Draw Championship, but that was a small field, so 12th isn't that big of a deal. He got second in the 10K Heads Up Championship. He got second in the 10K Pot Limit Championship event, which again didn't have a huge field, so that second's obviously good no matter what, but it's not, uh, it's not like winning second in the Colossus or something. He got 36th in the 5K No Limit event, which, again, not a huge field. And he got 6th in the 10K Six-Handed No Limit event. Is he having a great World Series? Oh, for sure. I'm not going to criticize Paul Volpe. He's, he's done great this year. But he has not won a single bracelet. Paul Volpe does not have a single bracelet in 2015. Not one. He has two seconds, one sixth. And a 12th and a 36th, all five of these came in relatively small field events. When I say relatively, I mean nothing that's like a 1,000 people or more, or even close. So why? Why should he be player of the year? That's what he is right now. He's leading by far. Uh, in the Deuce of Seven triple draw... There were 109 entries. That's always a very small field event. Only 109. So, you know, he got uh, 12th there, but out of 109 people. That's not wonderful. That barely cashes, in fact. In the heads-up event, that's never a huge field. It's a tough field. It's never a huge field. 128 people. Again, a small field. The 10K pot limit, 128 people again. The 5K No Limit, 493. Okay, that's a good-sized field, but it's not huge. But he got 36. It's not even like he he got second in that one. He got 36 there in the 5K No Limit. That should barely even figure in. And then the 10K No Limit, six-handed, he got six, but there were only 259 people. So he's having a great series. I'm not going to take that away from him, but he's not player of the year material. He hasn't won a bracelet and where he has finished in the money 
or made final tables. It's always been a smaller field event. With two of them, a very small field event. So how is he ahead of people with two bracelets? How? How is someone with no bracelets ahead of people with two bracelets? Now, I'd understand if he made, like, five final tables of of large or semi-large fields and didn't hit a bracelet, then maybe you could say that he should be ahead of people who won two bracelets, but still not. I mean, winning a bracelet should be the biggest thing. And nobody should win Player of the Year who just wins one bracelet and nothing else, no matter what event it is. But if you win two bracelets, that's pretty special. There should be a rule that whoever wins Player of the Year has to, at the very least, be the leader or co-leader in bracelets. That there is someone who's won more bracelets than you in the World Series this year, then you cannot be Player of the Year. That should be the rule. So again, Caesars has a marketing partnership with a company that is not doing a good job, and that's the Global Poker Index. And we talked about them last week, trying to stiff people out of seats. We have a co-host, not Brandon, I'm sorry to say, who wants to join in. A co-host we've had before, China Maniac. Hello, welcome to the show. Hey, what's up? So you said you wanted to add something about uh, Brian Hastings. Yeah, there uh has been some speculation that, that's come out over the last couple of days that allegedly he may have possibly bought a Donks account on Stars and leading up to the World Series. Uh, he allegedly was possibly playing like the highest mix games on there to get practice mm. against like people he'd be playing against. And then obviously it's been confirmed that he's had a lot of big bracelet bets and he hit them all. So, you know, if he did do that, that's pretty scummy for one to be playing against a lot of guys that he knows on an account that they don't know that was him. Yeah. And then the other thing is, you know, staying, you know, people are making big bets against him. You know, he went into the World Series and crushed it. That's allegedly. But there's been a lot of people, uh, a lot of big names that were playing against that account that have showed up in this thread on 2 plus 2 saying that it's more or less confirmed and that, you know, all the all the pros that play in that game know that. Interesting. So this is similar to the accusations that were against Mark Newhouse a number of years ago where uh, Mark Newhouse was accused of using a different person's account to, to play uh, heads up against uh, a guy who played on PokerStars named Chung Ho, who was also known as Sally Wu on Full Tilt. And, uh, and Chung Ho complained about it, that he, was, he thought he was playing a guy named Correctron when in reality it was Newhouse, and, and he lost like 97K to Newhouse. Now, uh, my point at the time was that I, I didn't really see that much of a difference. Correctron was a good player himself, so I don't see what, <laughs> what they really were accomplishing there. Like, uh, it went, he thought he was playing a different player, but it was a different good player. But, but still, I understood Chung, Chung Ho's point, and I supported the return of the money uh, that, that was won against him because it was a dishonest match as far as who he thought he was playing. But, uh, yeah, this, I, I agree, this is a dishonest thing to do, to get action from people uh, using either a phony new account that you had someone create for you, or even worse, buying an account that had a losing record, to where people want to give you action and don't realize that you're actually a, is actually a good player who's now using that account. Now, you're saying that's what happened, that it was actually someone who was a losing player on Stars, and Brian Hastings took it over? Yeah, I think uh, you're actually kind of fuzzy right now. Can you hear me? I can hear you fine. Let's see. Let's see if the okay. chat room can hear me. Okay. 
Okay, I can hear you a little bit now. Uh, yeah, I guess there was some guy who is like maybe known, but he's not like a pro or anything. But like, I I looked on PTR and like this account played like all fifty cent dollar, dollar two dollar, and then all of a sudden like the last three or four months before the series is playing like twenty five fifty PLO hundred two hundred no limit whatever all huge stakes and the same with like the full tilt account that's associated with that guy and i guess he was a fixture in the uh, in the mix games yeah sorry sorry about that the, the the end of it uh cut we had some kind of let me let me connect you back on i think we're having some sound issues okay. all right so i'm trying to fix the sound issues everything was fine until i everything Everything was fine until I connected Chinese Mania God, and then the sound went to crap. I'm, you guys know this, the sound's very important to me, so I, I don't want it to be bad. And I, I think when I was attempting to adjust down China Maniac sound because he was too loud, that it ended up that he was that the whole thing got distorted. I'm going to try to call him back. Can you guys hear me okay right now? I'm not blaming China Maniac, by the way. I was uh, uh, it was just when I connected him on that's when it all went downhill. But it was actually. A problem on my end, clearly, since I'm the one who's running this. All right. I apologize for those of you that had to sit through the bad sound quality. Okay, we're back here. Uh, can you hear All me right. better now? I think I readjusted everything. and some Somehow when you came on, it just it threw the sound. It wasn't on your end. It was the fault of my system yeah. here or whatever. But, okay, sounds like we're good. So, so yeah, you're saying that it sounds like they he actually bought a losing player's account. That's what people are saying, and um, basically it was, like, somebody that was kind of, like, known but, like, not a pro. It was just, like, you know, just some random guy that might be famous for something other than poker. I don't know if that's just kind of the way it looked like, the way I read it. Um, so, basically, I don't know. The The account went from playing, like, 50-cent dollar to dollar to $2. It was playing all those stakes, and then all of a sudden it was playing the highest stakes, and it was playing, like eight game all the mixed games against like all the top pros but those results like i think he was he must have whoever was playing on the account if it was hastings i think it was like crushing people because a lot of the pros like quit it Hmm. quit playing against it like within a few days to a week what people are coming out and saying in this thread on two plus two that's that's pretty bad that'll take that'll put a little damper on his world series because he is just He's got to be on cloud nine right now. Not only has he won two bracelets, but he's won these bracelet bets that uh, were for a lot more money than what he won in the bracelets. So, right. I mean, he's he's just got to be ecstatic right now. And this could actually bring it down a bit if it turns out that he was multi-accounting on an account to get action from others. And especially if he was using that account to get action from others to prepare himself for World Series play and that he wouldn't have gotten that action if he was under his own account. Right. And those are all the same guys that are playing those big mixed events too, the 10Ks, the 50K, you know what I mean? Stuff like that. So, you know, you get you can get reads on players like very easily in certain games, learn what they're very weak at, learn where you can attack them, and then they would have them. Yeah, um, yeah. If, if it was him. If, I mean. if he really did it. But, yeah, if, if he did that, that's pretty bad. I think the worst part, though, is the cash element of it. Just, you know, learning about them for the World Series, is I, I don't see as bad. And he could, you know, theoretically do this by just kind of watching the game, you know, these people. But, but I think, you know, people thinking they're playing someone who's not a winning player who are actually facing him and then losing to him, I think that's pretty bad. That's something that's right. – I mean, that's the old multi-accounting argument. The only thing worse than that as far as multi-accounting is using – uh, two accounts in one tournament that uh, Z Justin and 
some others were famous for. Right. So I mean, it's it's one thing if it's like a skin that ha- like a network that has like twenty skins because you can create you know whatever many accounts you want, you know, and that's more up to the user to figure out. Hey, this guy's pretty good. But when it's a site like Stars where you're only allowed one screen name and then it's pretty scummy if that is indeed what happened. Yeah, that is. So if, if you especially really... especially this day and age, I mean, five ten years ago, it might have been a different story, but like because uh, that was more tolerated. And, People did a lot of that back then, but now is, little... is Stars investigating this? I don't. I, I'm not sure about that. Um, it's kind of just broke over the last like day. So oh, okay. um, he hasn't come in to defend himself or anything huh, yet. Don't say that's me or that's not me. Yeah, but, uh, if it's if it's a big enough story and he's not commenting, that's pretty bad. Because if he's being accused and he definitely did not do it, then you think he'd be the first to come out there and go, whoa, 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 I trust me, I had nothing to do with this, this is false. Like, if you just say nothing, that usually means there's something to it. Right, but I don't know if he was still in the 50K Players uh, the players Championship today, but you got to remember, when all that stuff happened with, like, the Isildur hand histories, he was, like, front and center, like, defending himself. And it turned out that wasn't, like, against the TOS, but it was probably a little unethical. Yeah, people you know? were saying in chat, oh, wow, so, you know, Stinger doing something that's unethical. I, I'm real shocked. So Right. So it'll be interesting <laughs> just to see what his take is on it. Like, yes, I did it. No, I didn't. But the guys that was, like, very adamant, it seemed like through his post was David Bakes Baker saying that, like, uh, it was pretty scummy for him for if it was him to do that. You know, David Bakes Baker's really been speaking out recently. He spoke out about this. He spoke out about the playing cards. I mean, he just uh, – he's been going off. But yeah, I – I'm going to see if I could pull up his post. I mean, I, I don't disagree with him. I'm not saying he shouldn't be going off. I, I think he's bringing up good points, David Bakes Baker. So right. Good for him. But um, he has been going off. Yeah. A lot of those guys have, especially with the stuff you talked about before, the the, the cards. It's just such a joke. How could they not test those cards? And then when they're if they don't test them and it, there's a problem discovered, you don't wait till like three and a half weeks later. To replace them, you got to get on that right away. But I think they just didn't want to take it seriously at the beginning. I think they, I think they kind of panicked, like, "Oh wait, crap! This is our sponsor. We, this is our marketing partner. We, we can't do it. We're just gonna, we're just gonna brush this aside and hope it goes away." And then when it just, when the noise became too loud over it, they finally did something. But it's, it's pretty late. Right. Ronnie, oh, I have these tweets now. from. Yeah, I have these tweets from David Baker here, and they they came up in this thread. It says, "So to see this angle shot get because I guess Hastings said some guy was angle shooting in a tournament, and he uh, he tweeted about it, and then Bakes posted. So to see angle shot get publicity when I was playing Scoop H and hundred two hundred eight game versus a new account that knew me well, he was trying to do the right thing and tell people about it, including a PokerStars team member, but I didn't get that benefit." says, so after I final tabled the Scoop 2K, a bunch of well-known pros messaged me telling me Brian Hastings was behind the Noel Hayes account on Stars. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. It seems like people are, you know, some people knew, some people didn't, but I don't know. That's that's out there. So. I, I, I hope more comes out if it's true. Right. So, okay, so uh, the limit events that took place earlier, including two that I played, there was some controversy about the structure. Now, it is said that the structure was originally changed this year because of Alan Kessler. Alan Kessler, when he came on this show, denied that and said that he had nothing to do with it. But everyone says that since Alan Kessler wrote an article about how they need to change the limit structures in on Poker News, he wrote this article, that 
immediately the World Series reacted and changed the limit structures originally, not the recent change, but the original change that uh, led into this World Series. Uh, I have to say this actually echoes something that I said to Seth Polanski about a year ago on the phone. We had like a 45-minute phone conversation, mostly about WSOP.com, but I, I also said, hey, you know, maybe change the limit structures of the 1500 and any other lower buy-in event you have to the same way you have the 10K right now. So at the time, Seth but said, I'll suggest it to Jack Effel anyway. So I thought there was no way, but I guess uh, it did happen, not really because of me, but probably because of Kessler, known as the king of all structures. So they, they respected Kessler's take on it. And basically what they did, you, you've probably heard us discussing this on previous shows, is they took, first of all, they raised the initial level you play. So this way you're not playing for completely meaningless chips. Because if you, if you have 20,000 in chips you start with, and you're playing 2550. Obviously, that's not going to make any kind of meaningful impact on the tournament. So it's just a waste of time. So they started you at a higher level than you did before, but then they were repeating levels. So you would repeat the first four levels to where pretty much they all became two hours instead of one hour. And this made it where the first eight hours of play, the entire time you're not really moving up that much. So it's, it's like eight hours at relatively the same level, moving up very slowly. And this was popular when they introduced the change to the 5K and 10K limit events. So they, they figured, okay, we'll just apply it to the 1,500 and 3,000 events because no one had been complaining. People had seemed happy about it. And Kessler suggested, hey, do it across the board, just as I had suggested the same thing. Well, it turned out this brought on the opposite problem. The opposite problem being that people were spending too long of a time on lower buy-in events, and they didn't really want that. And this would keep them out of other events they wanted to play, or they'd spend two very long days and not even cash and have missed other events they want to play, or they just feel fatigued or tired from all the play they did, which they see as for nothing. Uh, And the recreational players, they weren't happy either because they would play a long time, but they would mostly ultimately not cash because they weren't good enough to cash, but they would still survive a lot longer because the structure was a lot slower. So when it all came down to it, most people were unhappy because it just dragged out the event for longer, and yet when it got closer to the time people would cash, the structure had moved very fast anyway, and at that point still, everyone was kind of short-stacked by the structure, and it was just a matter of who ran better. And, uh, and of course, the bad players, uh, they would typically chunk it off even if, they didn't, you know, even if they did run well. So nobody was happy. It just took too long pointlessly was, was the general consensus. I experienced this at the 3K 6 max limit hold'em, where I made it for two very long days and did not cash. I, I came 14 spots away from cashing. And I found that as well. That it, Now, I was saved. I have to say that if the structures were not this slow, I would not have survived as long as I did because I had three times where I was almost busted, and I only was able to go that long with all the beats I took because of the slow structures. So you could say I, I had a chance in the first place to cash because of this structure, so I should be thanking it. But at the same time, uh, it did waste a lot of my time, and it wasted a lot of other people's time, and a lot of people were very unhappy. The pros were unhappy, and the recreational players were unhappy. And what people started doing, like Brandon and uh, Ronnie Barta, they just started coming late, figuring, well, I can come in with a full stack like six hours in, and the limits will still be fairly close to what they were at the beginning. So I'll just I'll just start with a full stack, and even though I will not have gotten the benefit of earning chips at the beginning, I also will have avoided running bad at the beginning, 
and now all I have to do is win one or two hands, and I'm right back to average. So, and in fact, the one event Brandon cashed in so far, that's exactly what he did. Yeah. So, uh, so the World Series finally, uh, they got the message and they changed it. I don't blame them so much for this one because they, they did what people were asking them to do. And then it didn't work out. And people kind of didn't see this coming. I didn't see it coming. When I saw the structures announced, it's oh, good, this looks good. I, I didn't think of this. No one thought of it. So they've changed it midway to where they are removing these repeating levels and instead replacing them with levels along the way that uh, are in the middle so it doesn't rise up as fast in the later stages. So... I, I th- hopefully that will help things. Now, this will not impact the 10K limit event tomorrow, I don't believe, because I think this is only affecting the remaining 1,500 and 3,000 buy-in limit poker events, of which I'm not playing anymore. And it didn't affect the 3K limit because they hadn't changed it yet. But uh, I, I think that's a good change, and I'll, I'll give the WSOP props for this. I'm not even trying to criticize them on this one, because they tried to make a change they thought was right. They got it incorrect, but no one saw it coming, so I, I don't blame them. And then when it wasn't working out, then they changed it midway. So fine, I, I give them credit on that one for adjusting things to work right. And Jack Effel also said that he was attempting to change it sooner, but he needed to get permission from Nevada Gaming, which might be true. So, all right, good job yeah, on that one. It's crazy. Like There was like a Potlum in Omaha event where, I don't know, there was like 1,500 entrants or something, and... I think Brandon tweeted about it or something where, like, he could have, like, bought in at the end of the day, but I think he was running deep at another tournament, and he could have bought in and basically, like, almost folded to the money because it was just, <laughs> you know, there was, like, wow 600 players left or something like yeah. that. Yeah, well, here's another one that I was unhappy about. This was not about a limit events, but at the extended play no limit event, I saw the number of people jump up that had registered by about 24 people, maybe even more than that coming into the final day, the final level. And I said, what? Did they get it wrong? Like, why, why would they increase from, like, 1880 to... I think it went from 1880 to 1914, so it was 34 additional people. I said, where'd they get these 34 people? Well, it turned out that after nine hours of play in the extended play limit... Hold, in the extended play no-limit hold'em event, the one I just played, after nine hours of play and with about 1,200 of the 1,900 entrants gone already, you were allowed... To late register. <laughs> with a full stack. You could register with a full stack and come in with 1,200 of the 1,900 people already gone after nine hours of play. And an Asian girl, who I didn't really know, but she, she did that, sat down at our table with a full stack, immediately got dealt ace-king on her first hand, doubled up against ace-queen, they all got it in because the blinds were high enough at that point where the ace-queen had no choice but to call it. Because I, it was actually, I raised with ace-three suited, ace-queen directly to my left, three-bet me, ace-king, four-bet. So the ace-queen, I guess they could have folded, but, you know, 7,500 was short at that point. So he calls it off, sees he's up against ace-king, ace-queen does not approve. Guess what? She's got over 15K immediately after one hand, which would have been a lot harder to get at the beginning of the tournament. At the beginning of the tournament, you're not going to get someone to call off 7,500 with ace-queen pre-flop unless they were complete morons. So uh, she doubled up, then she won a few more hands. At the end of the day, she actually bagged about average chips from playing one level. She played one level and bagged average chips. Missed nine hours. Came in with a full stack. 
then she was actually on my table where I busted. So she she made it longer than I did. She cashed and she made it longer than I did. She wasn't a bad player. I have no criticism of her play. But it was ridiculous that she had the opportunity to do that. You should not be able to register when more than half the field is gone. It's it's outrageous. So it's just greed. They want to allow people to register because they make money from each additional player they get. So what they're doing here is they're destroying the integrity of these tournaments by letting people just uh, come in so late with a full stack. I think if people want to late register, if you want to allow it, you need to come up with a formula of how many chips they're going to lose. I feel that if you cannot play from the beginning, maybe for an hour you can go with that penalty, but after that I think you should get chips blinded off. So if you want to come in after nine hours, fine, you're going to come in with the tiniest of tiny stacks. But to basically coming in with a $7,500 stack in an event where you start with that after nine hours, to just start with that nine hours late, is like giving yourself credit for playing even money poker for nine hours, which I don't think is fair. Yeah, I agree. It's It's the same way it is online now. A lot of these sites just leave the registration open so late. And, like, I've seen it on Merge, too, where you could, like, you can late register and, like, Five more players, you you get into the money. Yeah, it's like it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it should be there should be a, a blinding out penalty after maybe the first hour. It it, it should not go on like this, and uh, it, it, it's getting ridiculous. It used to be the first six levels. This was the first four levels for for some years. Then it became the first six levels, and when I say levels, I mean one hour each. Now, at the extended play, no limit. After the first nine hours, you could come in late. Unbelievable. Nine hours, six levels. That was. So. Boy, was that uh, frustrating to see. I mean, nothing against the girl herself. She she played within the rules, and she uh, she got lucky and doubled up right at the beginning, and she parlayed that into a cash. I don't even know where she finished, but it was ahead of me. But uh, I, I'm just disgusted that they allow that. I almost felt like I should have done it. Like uh, The only reason I didn't do it is because, um, you know, I, I'm here to play. I'm not here to just show up late, so... If I'm here to play, I want to use those first nine hours to try to beat the weaker players and, and chip up. But let's look at it this way. I, and I have no idea about this girl, about how much money she had and whatever. But let's say you're really, really, really rich. You care about the buy-ins for these tournaments. You you don't care about the money. You're only playing to try to to win or final table. You're just You're playing for the love of the game, not for the money. So do you want to sit there for the first nine hours? If money's no object and and grind through to where even a really good start isn't all that meaningful? No. You'll probably skip the first nine hours, sit down, shove at the first good hand you get, hope to double up. If you don't, oh well, you've wasted fifteen hundred dollars in just a few minutes. And that's you know, you don't care because you don't care about money. And if if you do double up, then great, now you're in contention. And then you can start playing your game, but you've saved time. And I always felt the tournaments the, the endurance part of it and the willingness to sit there from start to finish to where the Daniel Negranus, the Phil Helmuth, the Phil Ivies, they, no matter how rich and well-known they might be, they are still stuck sitting here with the rest of us starting from the same low stack that we all did and not being able to rebuy. And just, you know, they have to rise up the same way we do. But now they don't. Now they can just show up late, fire $1,500 at it, 
take a shot. If it works, great. If it doesn't work, oh well, they have the money to afford it. It's just it's a, it should not be the way poker is. I agree. So, I, um, how many how many um big bets did that girl or that lady have when she bought into your tournament? Uh, I'd have to look up the structure, uh, but all I can say is that at that point, we're in level seven. She started off as we're beginning level seven. Whatever level seven was, uh, maybe I'd have to look at the structure sheet. You know, maybe it was 200, 400 with a 50 ante. Maybe it was, uh, yeah, I think that's probably what it was, 200, 450 ante, 500. So... So you just sit around and wait till you get a, a hand to shove. Yeah, not only that, but the people remaining, most of them have have stacks at that point. So right. they're more willing to call you off because you know if you have thirty k in your stack and you've got to call off seventy five hundred and you've got a reasonably good hand, you're not as hesitant to do it. Where at the beginning, if all you have is seventy five hundred, uh, then you think twice before calling off something with ace queen. So it's that too. Not just the blinds; it's all about the the relative stack sizes too. So like the guy with ace queen, if I were in his spot, I may have folded there. But I don't know. It, it, was, it was kind of hard to fold because it was a, you know, I raised, he three bets, and I was, of course, going to dump the ace three anyway. But uh, then she four bets with, you know, all in with a short stack, and he doesn't know if she's just shoving it in with any pair just to see if, uh, or ace jack, or maybe, you know, he doesn't know her. So he just thinks, okay, I've got to, he even said to me, I, I don't know her. I, I don't know what she's doing. I see she's coming late. I, I don't know if she's just trying to double up and go home. So I, I've got to call the ace queen, he told me. I, I kind of understand it. So. Yep. So he hey, he was irritated by the whole thing that she could just sit down and do that. So, well, at least they're making changes. <laughs> yeah, that's one I'd love to see them change back, and I maybe I'll bring this up to them. But um, unfortunately, the a lot of the name pros love the late registration because they don't have to sit with the rest of us for the beginning of the tournament. Yeah. Especially if you have bracelet bets or something, especially you, then you you really may want to just do that so you can play the maximum number of tournaments. Right. So that, and that's why a lot of them do it, so they can get the maximum number of tournaments in there. So, all right, let's, let's get off the World Series and get to something a little bit less serious. Doyle Brunson and the Twitter hacking. Right now, if you go to Doyle Brunson's Twitter, which is twitter.com slash textdolly, that's T-E-X-D-O-L-L-Y, You'll see one and only one tweet. Actually, maybe if you click on tweets and replies, you see more. Let me see. No, that's all you see. It says he has 1,212 tweets, but all you can see is one. That tweet was sent six hours ago saying, I think from Georgia hacked me, hashtag not good. That's true. Doyle Brunson got hacked somehow on Twitter, and the person who hacked him was just joyriding with the account and having fun with it. I, I don't think the person was trying to do like really sinister things. He was just, it was someone who was very juvenile. You could tell it wasn't someone who was 45 years old who hacked it, unless it's someone who's very immature. It was someone who was more likely a kid or very young who was just uh, trying, to, went to the obvious places when he was posting about Doyle's. Let me read you some of the tweets that came supposedly from Doyle Brunson. Let me get these up here. Again, they're not on the Twitter anymore. So, here are some things he tweeted. He was tweeting a lot of stuff at Obama, his uh, at POTUS account, which stands for President of the United States. Uh, He tweeted to Obama, stupid nigger at POTUS. Now, this is coming from Doyle Brunson, so this is, it's it's like some random doing this, who cares? But it's Doyle Brunson tweeting stupid nigger to POTUS. (laughs) Then, let's see. 
uh, I would do illegal things to this girl and and had, directs it at Ariana Grande <laughs> and, and posts a picture of her. Now, the funny thing is that's probably not too far from the real Doyle Brunson. Doyle Brunson, it, you probably don't know this, is kind of known as being a perv. Doyle Brunson, I know women that he's made really inappropriate comments to, and I mean women who are like 50 years younger than he was, that, that he would hit on them and make really inappropriate sexual comments and figure that, you know, it, it's probably unlikely they're going to do anything with him, but they're probably not going to be popular. Like, who's going to believe that Doyle Brunson, you know, this 80-year-old guy sexually harassed them? But he, but he does. Like, he, he does. I, I don't think he, like, puts his hands on any of these women, but he makes a lot of comments. So this one is not even that far from what I've heard Doyle Brunson does anyway. But he doesn't call the president a stupid nigger. That's, that's for sure. Uh, then here's some other things he, he tweeted. Uh, I'm gay. I love at P-O-T-U-S's cock in my ass. <laughs> So, as you can see, this is a, a juvenile person doing this, but uh, it is kind of weird seeing this coming from Doyle Brunson's account with his picture and everything. You know, did you ever think Doyle Brunson would say, I'm gay, I love Barack Obama's cock in my ass? No. I don't think that's what you'd ever expect to come from Doyle Brunson, but it did come from him today. Now, the hacker at one point, for whatever reason, he wanted Doyle to know that he wasn't doing this because of any kind of hatred of Doyle. He said... Doyle, this is maybe this was done out of love, out of some kind of misplaced. Uh, not clear how this was managed. It's not clear if uh, it was just done by guessing likely passwords that Doyle would have used, or if I think it was probably done by fish mail to the intended victim, and have them think they're logging into their account on a legitimate service. Like you could fake an email from Twitter saying you need to log in right now and change your settings, and then he ends up on a fake Twitter page where he enters his password, then the hacker gets the password, and then just, uh, actually not a hacker, it's a fisher, gets his password and then just goes in under the password and changes it. That's a common trick these days. So old people tend to fall for this more easily just because they're not as computer savvy. So yep. an, an older person, they get an email saying, this is Twitter, your account's having problems, please log in immediately or it'll be closed. And Joel's like, oh, well, I better log in my Twitter and make sure I ain't got no problems. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, then he goes on there. Well, it looks okay to me. All right. Well, glad I'm out his tracks. And then, uh, and then, and then this guy's got his password and goes on and said that he wants uh, Barack Obama's cock in his ass. So, uh, so it took a while for Doyle to get this back. This went on for hours today. And, and finally he, he got access to it again. The way you get access when this happens is you have to contact Twitter support and send your ID and all that. Now, I guess you can. I, I would think you could like request it to your email, but maybe Doyle Brunson set this up. He set this up six years ago, so maybe he doesn't have access to that email anymore. Whatever it was, Doyle couldn't get access to his account again, or maybe he just wasn't around to see it. Or people couldn't get a hold of him, but he wasn't around to do this for until hours later. Uh, the the hacker also pointed posted a picture of this really weird, nerdy-looking guy with suspenders and a fat face and glasses. And supposed to this is me exposed. Well, that, that one's kind of stupid because everyone knows what Doyle looks like. It's a, I mean, even if you know to see things like, uh, you know, I, I want Barack Obama's cock in my ass, just because it's so weird seeing it coming from Doyle. But uh, then he wrote, "Why do people think I'm hacked? Aiden is my real name. Do you know what he meant by that one, the hacker?" No, I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know what he meant by this. Aiden is my real name, but. Anyway, Doyle, what's weird is Doyle got the, the account back, but 
all the tweets are wiped. Now, I don't know if the hacker wiped out all the previous tweets, but that's hard for me to believe. Why would he do that? I, I think that Doyle just, like, when he got in, he's like, I better just delete everything. I don't, I don't, I, I can't trust none of this stuff. So he probably just wiped everything. He probably just cleared all his tweets. So I, I don't know when that guy done got access to my account, but um, he may have had access a month ago and said, I want Barack's cock in my ass. I can't have that up there neither. So I'm just going to delete the whole thing. Is there a function for that to just mass delete everything? I, I didn't think there was, but it, it all got wiped. Now, it's possible he asked Twitter to do that. Maybe he's, he emailed Twitter saying, can you please wipe everything and give me access to my account again? But everything's right. wiped. Now, went down, which we haven't even talked about yet. Can you believe I've been on this show for like uh, two hours now? I haven't talked about Mike on yet. But, I know, huh? But uh, when Doyle uh, got access and, you know, and everything was wiped, it reminds me of Stealth Monk, who was a Seals with Clubs pro. And then right when the bust went down, before anything was announced, before anyone knew what was happening, except for the Seals of the Club's owners, uh, Stealth Monk cleared all of his tweets. Like, every single one was gone. So it's possible Stealth Monk went and deleted them individually, but maybe there is a function on Twitter to wipe everything you've ever written. Uh, let's see. Someone is saying that the radio is choppy. That's I mean, it looks okay. To, is, is radio sounding okay to you guys, or is it choppy? It, it could be the Rio Internet, unfortunately. Yeah, someone in radio chat is saying, by the way, that uh, Clins is saying he should have just announced the death of Br- Doyle Brunson and tagged it R.I.P. Doyle. <laughs> now, that would have been a good prank. That would have been a really good prank because there have been so many false rumors about Doyle's death over the last few years. And imagine one coming from the Doyle account. Hey, Ruff, I, I, I just found something a pretty funny picture. Go to um, if you have your screen up, go to Chad Holloway's Twitter. Okay, I will do that. This is something we talked about last week. For some reason, I'm having trouble finding his Twitter. Let me try to Google this here. Chad Holloway Twitter. That's Chad A Holloway. There's some other Chad Holloway who has uh, a Twitter. Okay, so. So what am I looking for? It's probably the last tweet he sent. It says, forget all American yeah, Dave's. Yeah. <laughs> it's, so, yeah, apparently at the, the 50K Poker Players Championship, you know, it's, it's, it's $50,000 to enter. David Benjamin, who is not known to be eating healthy and is very large, has a giant McDonald's meal next to him on a chair with, like, all the wrappers open and, like, a half-eaten hamburger and fries. <laughs> so so Chad Holloway said, forget All-American Dave's, which is, like, a more expensive, like, kind of health food sort of place that's at the World Series. David Benjamin is going for the ultimate All-American meal in the 50K Poker Players Championship. McDonald's, baby. So it's like a big bag of McDonald's food. <laughs> this has got to be like a twenty dollars McDonald's order. Here. Yeah, it's a huge this order. Just for, yeah, just for Benjamin. It's crazy. Yeah, it, it, this reminds me half. of my order during uh, the live at the bike appearance I had. I love it, Happy. Uh oh, hold on, hold, hold on. We we lost. Uh, uh oh, I lost. I, I'm screwing up hard today. Let me connect uh, China Maniac back on here. You still here, China Maniac? I think I lost you. I think I lost everybody. Let me, let me reconnect everybody. Damn it. All going so well. Hello. Yeah, Matt the yeah. Rat, you're on. I'm trying to connect Chinese. <clears throat> you you I'm, called I'm in. Back. Yeah, you called in, and I cut everybody. So Matt the Rat, welcome okay. to the show. Hey, 
Hey, yeah, you were talking about Benjamin. Actually, I um, when I was walking by, uh, I saw him at a table there, and yeah, he's he's. I think he's gaining weight. He's getting pretty pretty big. Yeah, he's very large now. He's definitely very large now. So, <clears throat> it's, it's, hey, I I had a kind of a question for you. Now, what do you think about, uh, especially late in a, in a in a tournament, where somebody does the old, they have like you know like ten stacks or whatever. They put everything in except one chip, and they don't. They just say raise. They don't announce all in, and they do the one tr- chip back. Do you consider that an angle or what? Like, what is the point of that? It, it, so it depends nobody who can, it is. Like, repop them or it, it, it depends who it is. Um, it, it could be an angle, especially if it's a bigger chip. It's where they just force it in there. They, they shove everything in there and leave one behind that's still a meaningful chip. Like a twenty-five dollar chip's not going to do them any good. That's just an oversight. Obviously, I, I've done it before. It was an oversight. Like I've just shoved everything and then the chip that's like covering my cards. I forget to shove that in. But does that also play into like he's doing that for a fact that like in some way somebody is it that maybe no one can like re-raise him and he ha- I, I don't know is there any kind of like re- raising possibilities that are eliminated by him having a chip back or I'm just trying to think of a scenario why no no people can people can re-raise him it doesn't matter what he has back people can re-raise him but what what can happen is if people just say I call. Then they've only called what he pushed forward, not an all-in. So the guy's still right. alive with one chip. So, so, that, so really, what he's doing is he's cock-blocking people from like raising him because it's you know almost an all-in because they'd have to have a really strong hand to raise him. So he's kind of saying, in a way, like you know, like yeah, but it's only one more chip. So well, the, if someone the, did. No, I know, but someone if they have to raise fifty percent of what he raised, right? Is what I'm saying. They can't just raise him. Say he raises uh, three hundred ninety-five thousand, and he's got five thousand left. They can't raise to four hundred thousand. They have to raise like almost to eight hundred thousand, right, to make him put that chip in. You see what I mean? But he's still putting in three hundred ninety-five thousand. No, well, I know. But no, what, I, what's I see what you're saying. He's to where, let, yeah, not letting a third player. I, I see what he, you're saying here. That, that, that what if people can't raise? More? I've never seen that enforced before, though, where someone says all in and someone else is all in for like a, a slightly bigger stack. I've never seen that where that's not allowed. Well, no, no, it's allowed. But what I'm saying is, guy A puts in three hundred ninety-five thousand, has five thousand left. Guy B has a good hand, but he doesn't want to raise. He just wants to flat call, and he has, say, he has a million in chips. Well, for him to raise, he'd have to put in almost eight hundred thousand yeah, of his yeah. chips. So what he's basically doing is cock blocking that guy from raising, unless he's got a really strong hand. Yeah, to so where he's willing to put in all those extra chips. So, is what you're so what happened is, uh, um. Right now, in one of the events, uh, 42, that's what this guy's been done, and I put it in the chat there. It's put, uh, this Constantine guy tries the same move, move as before, moving all the stack forward, except for one 5,000 So, so wait, this is at event 42? That was the extended place? Yes. When I, that's the one I was it, just in. And it says, this time the tournament director spots it and rules it as, this is the same as an all-in, and forces him to put the chip in. I wow. think that's wrong. That's bullshit. Well, I, they, they, but they see he's angle shooting. So I, I, I've always said that if they see someone trying to angle shoot, that they have to kind of make a rule on the fly to stop it. I always say that if, you, you know, if it's clear someone is doing something as, a, as an angle shoot, even if it's technically within the rules, if it's very clear what they're doing, you shouldn't say, well, it's within the rules, so let them I, angle I shoot. Guess, I guess, yeah, I guess so. And in this cases, they made him put him in, and the one guy that called had jacks, and the guy that did the trick had aces. Um, so... You know, and I just wanted to bring up too. Actually, um, uh, if you go to the WSOP on num- event forty-two, they're down to eleven players. 
And a friend of mine is the chip leader, current chip leader right, right now. I've played with her many times. Uh, she only lives about 30 minutes from me. Um, and what's interesting is I probably play about maybe 100 tournaments a year. Like, you know, and I'm, I'm by far no pro. I, I would say I'm what you would call an active amateur. I, I would like to consider myself slightly above the average amateur. Um, but what's strange is she only plays about half the tournaments I do. And in every tournament I've played with her, I've gone deeper than her. So it just kind of goes to show if, if you're semi-decent and you go on a run and get the cards... I mean, like right now, she's number one with 11 players left. Oh, yeah. No, I, I think about this all the time. I thought just at the same event where when I had 90K, which is a little above average at the time, af- after the money had been hit. And I said, wow, okay, well, you know, let's see how deep I can go on this one. And then I, I ran the ace, ace king into aces, and that cut me down, and then I just started losing every hand after that. I said, you know what? What if it was reversed? What if I had the aces and that guy had the ace king? And what if the next hand after that... I put the bad beat into the guy putting the bad beat on me. Well, I'd have a big stack now. Now that I have the big stack, now I could start pushing people around. And I'm like, like, wow, there's a few things different, and everything changes. And I thought reverse the whole thing. If I didn't three out that guy with the ace-king when I was all in with 12K, I would have been busted out of the money instead of having 90K in front of me and in the money. So it's, it's so many small things can change everything. It is, it is, and I and obviously I'm kind of virtual railing her, and I'm I'm reading the hands that she's double upping. It's like one guy raises, another guy re-raises, and a guy flats, and she goes all in and gets called, and she's got pocket kings, and the guy's got like ace king or whatever, right? So she's just getting good cards, and you know obviously she's a competent player, but it's like every flip, it seems like she's winning almost every flip and getting good cards at the right spot, and like I said, she's you know she's not like some pro and with 11 players left she's got almost two million chips in the chip leader yeah okay so uh that's that's an interesting point uh so all right thanks matt for bringing it up we'll talk to you later thank you yeah that's all it takes i mean if you get good cards and you run hot then yeah that's what that's what it is about to to win here so look at look at jamie gold oh yeah yeah he was the ultimate case of that he he was good at playing a big stack but but boy you know he's never going to he could never repeat that because uh, it also Jamie Gold. What I noticed with him was he. It was amazing how nobody could suck out on him. Every time he, yeah. I, I saw so many big hands where he got it all in with the best hand, but everybody was uh, was behind him, like like behind him with a lot of draws, and it just hold every time blank 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 blank. Like if you if you had a draw against him and went all in, you had no chance. Yeah, it was like that for days. I yeah. mean, he was he just stayed up top and just kept growing every hand. That they updated, or every hand you see on TV, he just absolutely crushed everybody. Yeah, like yeah. like he's got the over pair. Someone else got the straight and flush draw. You know, offsuited brick, offsuited brick. He wins like every time. So um, I'm getting word that Doyle Bronson doesn't actually have back his Twitter. That the message, and this would explain more why everything's been cleared except this. I think I have my account back. Little creep from Georgia hacked me. Hashtag not good is the little creep from Georgia. <laughs> it's him claiming. <laughs> so this is the hacker saying that Doyle has the account back. That's uh, you know what? Looking at the writing style, I think I think that this is correct. It, yeah. it doesn't quite look like Doyle's writing style. It looks kind of like someone. It does look like a younger person. I also I never understood how would he know it was someone from Georgia. So I think this is the person who did it, who's writing that about himself. 
Like this is definitely someone who wants attention from the whole thing. This is being done for attention, and now he's pretending Doyle got access back. I guess it fooled me. I guess I believed it. Uh, <laughs> I should have thought more critically on this one. I think you're right. I th- I think that he doesn't have his account back. So I, I guess we're going to hear more about Barack Obama tonight from that account. You, you know what he should do? He should uh, he should play it up like it's still Doyle, and going like tweet things like, "Yeah, well." I didn't like that hacking, but I gotta say, you know, I, I still think the POTUS is a stupid nigger. Like he should that one right. Like he should, he should try to stay in character, and then like validate some of the, the fake tweets that he did, like that he w- that he agrees with him. That would be the, but this guy doesn't seem that creative though. He seems just that very juvenile. I wouldn't be surprised if this guy's like fifteen years old. Yeah. So, the the what saga of Doyle Brunson's Twitter continues. All right, here's another saga that's continuing tomorrow. Brian Mikon has returned to the United States. Don't know where he's staying at the moment, but I believe he's here in Las Vegas. And he is scheduled to face charges tomorrow at 9 in the morning in court in Las Vegas. Now, there have been a lot of uh, changes to the status of the case, they, uh, they they lifted the warrant so he could travel into the U.S., which is kind of weird, and then they put it back on as soon as he got to the U.S. And uh, I, I guess that th- this is all procedural. They're gonna they're gonna book him, and then uh, they're gonna release him on his own recognizance. And uh, I think this is all formalities to get this, to the. Is this tomorrow or is this Thursday? Yeah, this Thursday? is tomorrow. This is uh, sorry, not tomorrow. This is Thursday. I forgot. Okay. Tomorrow's Wednesday. Uh, but Thursday, it's it's all like formalities, this stuff, to lead up to Thursday at 9 a.m. He's going to be in court, and they're going to discuss what's going to be done with him related to the charges of, of what's happened. Now, I have a feeling that, and this is what most people think, that he's going to plead guilty and then take a uh, some kind of plea bargain deal that has been prearranged by his attorney, David Chesnoff, who is a very well-known attorney in uh, Las Vegas as far as criminal matters are concerned. So you think this is just going to be, he goes in there one day and he's done, like he won't have to go back for, because usually this stuff goes on and on. But There, there may be uh, another one, but if it's a plea bargain, maybe it's only this one because they just need to hash out what it's going to be, and that'll be that. If it's if it's a, a hearing to determine the a full-blown criminal case they're going to have with a jury trial, then yes, then he has to come back another time. But um, uh, what everyone's wondering is, number one, does this plea bargain include any kind of prison time, or is this just going to be all probation and maybe a fine? Second thing people are wondering, and I think this is the stranger part, is how is SWC Poker still running, which is the new version of SEALs. Basically, on February 11th, after the raid, SEALs went down, never to return. But Micon started up SWC Poker, which is a replacement for SEALs. It's also a Bitcoin poker room, using different software, but other than that, it's basically the same. And Micon, I'm not guessing here, Micon said himself on a video, which I'm sure the prosecutor's office has, that he is starting up SWC Poker. 
So the, with the new one, there's no question that it's him. I, with, with Seals, he's been trying to claim, oh, I was just the marketing guy. I wasn't really running it. SWC Poker, which is almost the identical site, he said in a video he's running it. He said in the video he's starting it. So the weirdest thing is that if you go to there, that site right now, it's still up two days before he's going to go into court to answer to charges about his part in running SEALs, which is really weird. What's also weird is that he's never announced that he has sold SWC Poker. He can't even say, well, I started it, but I immediately sold it. All he said on one forum, a Bitcoin forum, that he's stepping away for a while. So he hasn't even sold it or made any statement that he sold it. And even if he did sell it, I'm surprised they'd allow this to continue unless he, he could prove that he sold it and, and it has no way of stopping it now. And, and then they'd probably force him to give up who the actual owners are so they could take action. But it's so weird that they would make a plea deal with him while the same crime is basically being committed as we speak. Like, he's going to go into court on Thursday at 9 a.m. He's going to plead guilty, probably, to the charges of running SEALs and, and make some kind of plea bargain while he's still running an identical site that does the exact same thing. <laughs> and, and it's still open to everybody. A Nevada could go on to SWC Poker, sign up, and gamble just like they did on SEALs, the exact reason he's in trouble right now. It's so weird. I don't think I've ever, ever, ever seen it where someone comes into court to face charges and yet and for some kind of plea deal, presumably, when they are clearly committing the same crime that they were busted for in the first place. I, I don't get it. I just yeah. don't get it. I don't get it why this is okay unless... Unless these are the final two days of SWC Poker and part of the deal that has been negotiated is that they're going to shut down SWC Poker as terms of the probation. Unless he's going in to fight it. Yeah, unless he's going to fight it. I guess that's possible. I guess it's possible because it's, it's so weird. It's so weird. I mean, can you imagine how stupid the Nevada government would look if they not only don't give him prison time, but let him walk out and SWC Poker is still running? So they've accomplished right. nothing. You got to remember. Either way, he's he had to come back because unless he had a ton of money put aside, then he, the, he you just he can't stay there much longer. You know what I mean? Like if he's not and because he's it's not like he's making a ton of money off that site because it it lost traffic and there's other sites that are growing way past that. Yeah. So either way, he's coming back whether he's fighting it or it's a plea deal or whatever. Yeah, that's it's so weird. And uh, but he didn't have to come back right away because he didn't have to leave Antigua until mid-August. He he basically gets six months to be there. So, I I mean it's it's not that far from mid-August now, but it's not that close either. So, uh, he his hand wasn't forced quite yet. Uh, and it's hard for me to believe that he's just going to stroll back in, thinking there's a chance he could go to prison for years. So there's got to be something that's been agreed upon by his attorneys. But I just SWC poker is that's just confusing me so much because I just don't get how that fits into the picture. I don't get how they could possibly allow that to continue. Now, some people are theorizing, well, maybe he's going to come back to face the charges for seals. He'll make a plea bargain for that, and then immediately they're going to arrest him again for for running SWC poker. 
<laughs> but I don't think so, and I'll tell you why. Um, it's not like what you see on TV where the prosecutors and defense attorneys have a very, very adversarial relationship where they're both trying to one-up each other constantly. Like it, It's not like watching old episodes of Matlock with Andy Griffiths. Uh, it, where, where, where there's some shocking thing introduced at the end that uh, surprises either side. Uh, they they tend to have a pretty uh, cooperative relationship, even when they are adversaries. And when I say cooperative, it means that they don't do anything dirty to one another. That uh, they they basically are not going to surprise each other with gotchas. They they keep a relationship of trust. The, the high-profile defense attorneys and the prosecutor's office. And that's, that's part of the reason you get a higher-profile defense attorney is because they have that relationship with the prosecution and, and they get a lot better insight to what can and can't be done. Now, I'm not saying they collude together or anything like that. I'm just saying that there aren't any kind of dirty or sneaky tricks between them because they both need each other. Right. And and uh, and why do, why do they need each other? Well, because deals are made, and and they can never make deals if they can't trust one another. You can only make deals with people you trust. So that, that's how it works with the high-profile defense attorneys and with the prosecutor's office is that, that they they need to trust each other. So I can't see it to where they're going to pull this trick on Mike on that when he comes back to face the charges of the first seals and plea, that they surprise them. Ha ha! Now that you're here, we're going to arrest you for the second seals. Ha ha ha! Now you're really in trouble. Like I, I can't see that. I, I think if that was in the plans, then that would have been disclosed. Now, let's say Mikon came back and started committing a new crime. Let's say he just started a, a sports book online while he was here. Let's say he started that today. Well, then they could arrest him for that because that's not something that was known before he came back. But this SWC poker has been known since February. So I, I can't see them secretly planning to arrest him for that, but at the same time I can't see them allowing this to continue. So the only way this makes sense is one of two things. Either if there's no plea and he's just going to fight this out in court, or if this is going to be part of the probation, that uh, you know, probation it always comes with various terms, and whenever there's a plea bargain they can pretty much dictate the terms, and once you agree to it, that's done. So you know, some things yeah. the terms could be uh, Mikon agrees not to work for any online poker site in any way, shape, or form, or he's violating probation. Now, you could say, wait a minute, they can't say that. Uh, Mikon, uh, it's a, his right to work with for who he wants. No. If you agree on probation that I'm taking probation in exchange for these terms, and for you only, this law applies, pretty much. So, so it's, there could be one of many terms there, and maybe one of the terms is that he is not allowed to work for any online poker sites, and he has to immediately shut down SWC Poker and never put it back up or sell it or sell it, just, you know, completely retire it and be done with it. So yeah, I don't think I don't think they'll pull a sneak attack on him. I mean, they they have everything they need if they're going to, like, try and still prosecute him or whatever, or if they have a hand where they can make a deal. They already have everything they need. So it's not like they're going to get, like, more, you know, they, they'd have to get more evidence to make another case against them, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's basically the same thing, too, and that's, that's the other point, is that uh, there's nothing really new about SWC Poker that makes it any more serious of a crime than Seal, after he was very aware it was a crime and he was being prosecuted for it, so... But other than that, the crime itself is the exact same, so... And, and it's a very, very similar site, and it would all pretty much be lumped together as one. 
So I guess they could hit him with a second count, but that's totally the type of thing that would be thrown out anyway. It's kind of all the same thing continuing. But I just don't understand it. I guess we're going to find out in a few days because it'll probably be reported in the media of what what the deal was. And I guess it's even possible maybe he can return to the World Series. Some people are thinking that he's going to be banned from being in any casinos. And it's possible, but this didn't have to do with live casino play. This had to do with online casino play. So uh, it's very possible that there will not be a term having to do with not being able to enter a casino. Because if you think about it, the crime he's accused of has nothing to do with live casinos. Depends on how strict this probation officer is. They can pretty much do whatever they want. They could say, you know, we're going to come to your house and inspect your computer and there better not be anything involving gaming on your computer, like even if you're just playing on a site, you know? Yeah, they I could say no casinos. They can basically do whatever they want unless somehow his lawyer, like, hashes something out before a deal is made. Well, there will be some agreement that's, you know, that's there in place beforehand, but I think that... Uh, it is possible that the probation terms will have to do with something like no online gambling of any kind. Like, uh, not only can't you run them, but you can't play on them. It's the, just stay away from online gambling completely. You can't be part of it. You can't work for it. You can't play it. You've got to stay away completely from online gambling, legal or otherwise. And and uh, um, if you want to gamble, you have to enter a licensed casino, a brick-and-mortar casino. It, it could be something like that. I, I guess we'll see what the terms are if he is, ends up on probation. It'll be interesting to see if he has to pay a fine at all. Uh, I, I can't see it to where they were just going to drop the whole thing completely. Otherwise, they would have done that already. They wouldn't bring him back. They would just say, okay, we're dropping it. Come back, Mike. Uh, they're, they're, they, they believe he, they can get his lawyer and him to agree to some kind of penalty, some kind of terms. Right. It's probably a good thing if they do like ban him from playing online poker and going to the casino because it's not like he was um, crushing the games before anyways. You know? No, he so. wasn't. You want to hear something weird, too, and I, I don't know if we've talked about this before, but I've been hearing from a lot of different people, and I mean people from all different places who have nothing to do with one another, that every time they talk to MyCon since this all began, it's always the same old song, that he's broke. He doesn't say the words broke, but he strongly implies to them, according to these people, that he doesn't have very much money. And then, you know, eventually that leads to the context of the conversation of, hey, can you help me out with this whole thing? So it is so weird to me. Is, is this really true? Has he really blown all or most of the money? Or is he just not wanting to spend what he has left? It's going to be over after this whole thing is finished. And that, that he needs to save what he has saved up for his family's future. And so for that reason, he's calling himself broke. It's really weird because every interaction everyone's having with him recently, of those that he's been calling... The, the common theme is he's been telling them he's struggling financially, and even his GoDaddy, not GoDaddy, his, his Go, GoFundMe page uh, implies strongly that he is struggling. It doesn't say I'm broke, but it says my legal defense is going to rapidly deplete my funds. So yeah. I, I don't know what to say. I don't know if he's close to broke or if this is just an act to get others to foot the bill for him. Right. Also very possible he doesn't want to say that he does have money in case, like, they're monitoring, like, whatever he's doing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they know he has money. They can probably try and squeeze out of him or give him a bigger fine or whatever. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of weird, though. I actually had someone who's not even that close of a friend or anything, or not even a friend, really, just mention to me, hey, you know what, Mikeon called me, and he says, hey, you know, I'm, I'm really uh, kind of busted up. I don't I don't have very much. Can you help me out at all with this case? Like, the, he was really telling people, I, I just don't have much I really need this. Can you help me? Like, uh, not even close friends of his, but people that he just 
knew over time that he thought were on good terms with him. Uh, and I'm not saying he called them all. He didn't call everyone in his Rolodex. I'm just saying that uh, there are a number of people who come to me that when they had interactions with him since February, the common theme has been, I'm struggling, can you help me? And I, I just don't know if I believe it. I actually, I think he may have more than he's letting on. But I guess we're going to see mm. a lot in the next few days. I don't know. I mean, there's people were saying, like, he was in the casino, like, just peeling off wads of hundreds in blackjack. He was spotted in, like, high-limit slot rooms playing, like, $100 a pull. And then, you, you know, you, the, just to move all whatever out there and leave everything that got taken from him, he had to replace all his electronic stuff. That business went down the tube, and those checks weren't coming in. So it's very possible he could be very well busted up, especially if he didn't cash in a lot of those coins when they were at 1000 bucks a pop, you know? Yeah, I, I, know, I know that that probably hurt somewhat, that he could have uh, gotten, if he just sold all those coins back then, he could have made several times what they're worth today. Though he still made money on them, and uh, I think the biggest thing he made money on was just seals, all the money that came in from that, because it was a fairly popular site, not a huge site, but a fairly popular site that was generating a lot of rake. And so I guess we'll see. A, a lot of mystery surrounds him, and it's unusual. Usually uh, with MyCon, it was it was pretty clear what was going on with his life, whether you liked him or didn't like him. Uh, in the last few years, it's been very mysterious whether he has money, whether he doesn't have money, how much he has. Now does he have any more money? Now what's going to happen with, with, with SWC poker? It's so weird. It's so weird. Yeah. I, I'd love to know. I'm very curious, but I guess we're going to find out. I guess we will well, find now, out. It's going to cost him a lot of money probably to relocate now. Now he has to get housing, whatever, plane tickets back, you know, like... Well, I, and I think th- I think this attorney is going to charge him at least a hundred grand for this whole thing too. This is a very oh, expensive sure. attorney, a very expensive yeah. attorney. And and Steve, yeah. Steve the bodyguard, who's friends with Brandon, used this attorney once for a simpler case and paid fifty k. So you got to think for this case, which was more, more complicated and more time consuming than the Steve the bodyguard case, that it's got to be at least double of that. So you can't. Yeah. This, if, is, if he if he fights it, it's going to be even more than 100k. Yeah, I I just can't see this attorney like getting involved in all this if he's going to just make 20k out of it or something. It it just seems like something that's going to be expensive, and the the right. 4k that was raised on the GoFundMe is not going to do a lot to. Is that still active? Uh, yeah, the, everyone's saying oh it's not working anymore, but there have been a few nations since they suspended. It was like they suspended him and then unsuspended him because there's a few, but a few got through. Unless somehow they were just old, and that's another weird. Weird thing is that the last anyone heard from him is GoFundMe was no longer working. But yet, no, it's like there's another donation from a day ago from a Zachary Elwood. Fifty dollars. How much is it at now? It's four thousand five, so it's nowhere near anything that would actually pay for much legal defense. But Zachary Elwood, best of luck, sir. Wish I could give more right now, but I'm trying to buy a house at this moment. <laughs> Anonymous gave $5. And actually, I think the Anonymous was one of the troll donations that he changed to Anonymous. But, uh, yeah, there's been a few little donations coming in since he got suspended there, so they can do it. How about traffic on the new site? Have you seen, like, sites been doing? Well, if you go to the site itself, they self-report how many. Ignore, like, the number of players connected because I think it's incorrect. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you have to look at the seated players. Mm-hmm. And it's always what's weird is the seated players is always fewer than the number of tables open, which is actually impossible. Right. But it says, like right now, which is like a peak time, 
players 31, tables 33. I don't know if there's really 31 players, like, sitting. I don't know how many of them are just, like, sitting at empty, t- empty tables and how many games are going. So, and I, I, I've i never downloaded the client, and I'll just be honest with you, I haven't downloaded it because I don't trust it. Like, I, I when I say I don't trust it, like, I just, now that MyCon is the only one in charge, like, I, I just don't completely trust it. For, especially for myself. Like, I don't want it spying on my computer or anything. So I, without being able to see the software, I never know what it could do. So right. MyCon's the last one. Like, I wouldn't be as afraid if it's just like a random online poker site that may be shady. But right. when it's MyCon who would have a personal interest in the data on my computer, I, I don't trust it. So I, I've never gotten the client. Um, this is how I can tell it's so slow. Like, I browse the Internet Poker Forum on 2 Plus 2 pretty much every day to see if anything interesting pops up. And before, the Seals with Clubs page, before he got raided, was it was always bumped. There was over a million views, tons of people posting. Right now, that, that thread's not even on the first page on um, on this forum, and I haven't seen it in a while. So shows that, that that many people that were playing before don't seem to be interested in asking questions or playing now. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, for everything I'm hearing, it's just it's, it's a pretty much a dead site. So I, I don't know how much it's making now, and I don't know how high the games are. The games that are running are micro-limits, and they're barely making anything in rake. So, right. so I, I don't know about... I, I just don't know because I haven't opened it and I haven't looked. If somebody's software, I'd, I'd, just, I'd be interested to hear. Like, yeah, well, if anyone has that software, see, like, how many games are going right now, like, yeah. with active players. You know, Real Talk is saying, LOL, MyCon having a personal interest in the data of Jeff's computer. Of course he'd want to see the data on my computer. Of course he would. Of course, if, if someone offered MyCon, would you like to see a copy of Jeff's hard drive, he would snap call that one. Snap call that one. I'm not saying that he's trying to hack my computer or anything. I'm saying that a, a piece of software that he owns and controls, I, I don't, I, I'm concerned about having on my computer. The greatest chance is that, yes, it's safe, but I, I don't want to take that chance because I know him. So I, I don't, uh, I want to be clear. I don't think he's trying to get the, my data. I'm just saying that uh, I, I'm much more concerned with that type of software package that's owned by someone who doesn't like me rather than just a a regular person. Now he's saying, uh, I'm just a hard timing you calm down. Well, okay, I was just I was just trying to answer the chat room here. I am calm. And uh, in the chat room, Khan might be placed convicted. That means he can't set foot in a Nevada casino again. That's from JSTAT. It's possible. Yeah, I, I think that something like that is likely to happen just because you're dealing with the, NV, the Nevada Gaming Commission. You know? That would like... be very interesting. I mean, that would really, really hurt him, like, emotionally, not hurt him uh, financially, or, or hurt him physically, but it would hurt him emotionally because gambling is such a large part of MyCon's life, especially Las Vegas gambling, and if he knew he could never set foot in a Nevada casino again, he would really, really be depressed. I mean, never mind that. I mean, sometimes, isn't it true if you get into some of those databases that they spread them, like, nationwide? Yeah, they can, yeah. So... Uh, so I, I've heard a lot of people saying that they think this is what's going to happen. I haven't been thinking that. I've been thinking that they probably won't do anything related to the live casino aspect, but at the same time, I would not be surprised if they did. I, I If I had to guess, I'd say no, but if the answer is yes, I'm not going to be shocked. That's the way I'm looking at it. So um, Let's see what else is being said in the chat. Uh, if he's got some money to fork over for, for, for restitution, he'll walk. So he's trying to say that if uh, if he's got enough money to... 
interest the Nevada Gaming Commission for a fine that he'll walk. I don't know about that. They're different than the U.S. Department of Justice, which is all about money. The Nevada Gaming Commission is more... Uh, they're more of just trying to protect the existing licensed casinos here. So right. they... I think they're going to be a little bit... Like, if somebody opened up, like, a blackjack and craps room out of their house, like, I think it would be a lot smaller than what they're going to try and give him because all those uh, casino operators that are operating those sites in Las Vegas, they're, they're all, like, they're all fluttering. They're all, none of them are doing well, so they might want to make a... You know, this is the first Bitcoin thing. They might want to take a heavy stance on this. Yeah, that's what I'm not understanding either. Like, why are they backing down if this is a, a, a thing with a probation and a plea bargain? It sounds like they've got a pretty strong case. Now, I outlined the other side on Poker Fraud Alert's forum recently about why the prosecution may be nervous and be willing to negotiate. And uh, the, the things that they have to worry about in a criminal case against Micon where they may be vulnerable to lose, especially against a, a good attorney like this. Uh, number one, the SEALs server was not running in Nevada. It was run on foreign soil. Uh, Mike can probably reasonably prove that he did not technically operate the server. So not only wasn't it in his house, but he wasn't even setting it up or maintaining it, that this was being done by third parties who are not even in the state of Nevada, most likely. Uh, he can also say, probably truthfully, I'm not sure about this, that he was not handling the money. There was money going in and out of seals, for sure, through Bitcoin, not actual money, but Bitcoin that's worth money, but that Micon was never handling it, that he wasn't handling it in or out, that that, again, was being handled by third parties. Uh, that could also be a problem for the prosecution. Uh, he can also say that his statements that he owned SEALs, such as what he sent in a Skype chat to Lock CEO Jennifer Larson, where he bragged about owning SEALs, uh, that this was just all puffery, that this was just uh, Micon using this to give people more faith in SEALs because he was the only known entity running the site. And so rather than having anonymous people hiding in the shadows running it, that he was a long-standing person in the poker community that they felt they could go to and that they could put a face to and gave people more confidence to play there, which is true. People did have more confidence to play there because they faced the site. So he could claim that he was lying about owning it simply to give the site more credibility and that lying about owning something doesn't mean that you actually own it. Uh, for example, right. if I walked down the street and said, hey, you know what? I'm the biggest drug dealer in Vegas. If you want to buy Coke, get it from me. Well, if they arrest me then and they can't actually prove I really sold any Coke and I said I was just showing off to, to pretend that I was a big Coke dealer, I, I haven't committed any crime. Right. So th that could be Mike on the defense here is that he was just pretending he owned it when, in fact, he was just a marketing guy, that that was part of the marketing to pretend that he was the owner. So but there's still something there to link him to the site. Yeah, there like, is. They did say they found server invoices that were emailed to him that obviously would not have been sent to him if he was just a marketing guy. Uh, they did say that, uh, you know, they have these things that he's admitting to Jennifer Larson that he's owning it. He definitely took on a very managerial role and said he's the chairman. And it'd be hard for him to get into court, on the other hand, and swear, oh, I'm just the marketing guy. I did nothing else because it, it was clear he had much more of a role there. And um, and they may, from his computer, even be able to trace the payments he got that it would have been yeah, very excessive for just a marketing guy. So I, I, 
I think they probably still had a strong case, but maybe they were afraid also because it involves Bitcoin and not real money that a jury may also be afraid to convict him that with all these other things that I just mentioned, that on top of that, they were only gambling a theoretical currency on the Internet and not something that actually has a uh, a direct value like cash. Though, of course, it could be argued in the other way that this is what's known as uh, consideration, that the betting you're, you're betting of something of value, and that in Nevada is illegal to do without a license. You cannot bet anything that has real value, even if it's not money, from doing things like this. So uh, that's still very much violating the law, but in the eyes of a jury, maybe you know he could start, they could draw a parallel to this and Zynga chips, that, right. that, that he, he was just treating it like Zynga chips, and he had no idea that, uh, and people even sell Zynga chips, he saw it as the same thing, he had no idea, and uh, you know he wasn't really operating what he saw as an illegal gambling site. So maybe a jury could be convinced and the prosecution got nervous. Crap, we just lost this Paul Fua case with Caesars. Maybe we don't want to lose again. Maybe we just want to uh, have a plea bargain here. But but honestly, if they walk away from the plea bargain and SWC poker's still running, boy, have they failed. Boy, do they have egg on their face, the prosecution. Right. Here's another weird thing. Like, how... Uh, oh, yeah, and, and on those Skype conversations with Jen Larson, like, someone told me that has talked to him a lot that those were probably drunk trolling, almost bragging to her about like, you know, yeah, I'll buy your site, blah, blah, blah. Just like kind of almost flashing that, you know, his site is doing well and well, Locke was in the shitter, but how did poker fuse get a hold of like those Skype conversations? What I'm wondering. Uh, because they went to court and in court, the prosecution gave that as an example of proof of Mike on owning it. They said, basically, here's what we found on his computer, him bragging to another online poker operator that he owns it and that he's been running it since 2011. So right. so that's 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 how they found it. They, poker Fuse has, does not have access to the stuff that was seized. And I don't know if this was just him messing around. I don't know if this is him just kind of taking a wild shot in the dark, as you said, when he's drunk or just in a funny mood. Just, oh, I wonder what Jen Larson will say to this. Or I have to tell you, from my time knowing Mikon, I always described him as a dreamer. And a dreamer sounds like a compliment, but it, it can be positive and negative. And the problem with dreamers sometimes is that when they're trying to operate businesses or even go through life, they don't operate from a realistic standpoint and they get themselves into hot water because they expect everything to just work out that actually has a small chance of succeeding. And I, I, I mean, I dealt with this with him with Donk Down when we ran that together. Um, he, he had grandiose ideas of how much money the site was going to make. And I thought, I don't think it's going to make very, very much money at all. And, and I didn't want to put much money into the site into beautifying it and everything like that. If, it was unlikely to make much money. But we used to have arguments that he thought that the reason the site wasn't succeeding is because I wouldn't open up my Jew wallet and make the front page look nicer. And I'm like, no, the people, when do you ever have anyone coming and saying, I would come to your site more often, it's just the front page is ugly. Like, no one says that. P people who don't come there have content-related reasons they don't come there or because they don't know about it, never because the front page doesn't look as nice. So, right. like, I, I would have these discussions with him, but I just wouldn't get through because he had these dreams of the site that was going to blow up huge. So, uh, I think with Lock Poker, when everything was going well with Seals and money was rolling in, 
I think he really saw himself as the savior of lock poker, where he could both enrich himself and become a very loved and respected figure in poker for rescuing the lock poker situation, for coming in like a, like a white knight from the outside, kind of like what poker stars did for full tilt. And uh, now I th- I don't think Mike on realized that lock owed like ten to fifteen million dollars to its players. I think he thought it was probably a lot less, like maybe one million. This is just me guessing, but. Uh, and I don't know what his plans were. He said, make the players whole. I don't know if he was willing to pay people right away or pay them a limited amount each month or pay them based upon what they rake. I don't know what he was. I think he probably, when he said that, really wanted to do it. Now, whether he would have gone through with it or what about it the next day and said, oh, this is ridiculous, or whether he would have found out the truth about how much they owe and probably backed out. I'm sure that would have happened anyway. But I think at least he was – I don't think he was trolling her like just messing with Jen Larson and say, ah, is he Jen Larson on? Let me, let, let me screw with her. I, I think it's like that. I think it's like, ah, Jen Larson's on. Let me see if I can – you know what? Maybe I should take over Locke. You know what would have been a good plan if he, if he could have acquired that like player database and what they were owed? He probably would have said, you know, here's the stipulation. Everything's going to be converted to bitcoins and you have to now play on SWC. And if you rake X amount, then, you know, you cash out so much. And it would have – that traffic of people trying to get their bankrolls off would have totally blown his site up, I think. Well, I, I don't think he was going to roll into SWC. From what I could see, it seemed like he wanted to just run a separate site, just have like an empire of different sites running. Uh, and, and I also heard that he was planning to move to Antigua before any of this happened to do things like this, like not Lock Poker specifically, but I heard that he had been planning to go to Antigua, that he had sold his car and, and sold other possessions of his in planning to make this move to have more freedom to run other sites that he wants to run. And then the the whole bust got in the way, and then he had to just drop everything and run. So he, some people are theorizing that he's just going to face this, get this out of the way so he can return to the U.S. when he wants to, and then go back to Antigua and run and, and run things from there. Right. Well, I, it seems like he doesn't have the bankroll to do that, though. Well, he might. I, I, it, it, so much is a mystery. So much is a mystery here. And he's uh, from... I, I, I forgot. Something else I was thinking about him, but I forgot, so never mind. But uh, it, we'll see. It'll be an interesting situation. There's a lot of ways this can go. Uh, and it, it's hard for me to even picture. The The only things I, I, I don't see likely, I don't see it likely that they're going to arrest him a second time for this other thing running, and I don't think that he's going to be let off completely scot-free. I don't think they're going to just dismiss it. I think that uh, there's going to be most likely some kind of plea bargain and either a short jail sentence or plus probation or just probation and a fine. What's in that probation is going to be very interesting to find out if we do find out. And I, I also wonder how the attorney general's office is going to explain this. Will they give an explanation for why they made a deal with him? It's one thing to challenge it in court go through a, a criminal case and lose like they did with Paul Fua, but at least they tried. Here, if they are giving up, you would think they would owe the public an explanation of why they're giving up, and maybe not. Maybe they're just going to they're just gonna slink away and <laughs> admit defeat. But we'll see. We'll see if he beats this, and we'll see how scathed he ends up from all this. If he, if he is banned forever from entering a Nevada casino, that's going to be very harmful to him, at least to his psyche. It's a, the World Series has always been very important to him. Some people are even wondering, hey, maybe he'll play the World Series after he's passed this, which is possible. If it doesn't include any kind of 
live casino ban, he probably will try to play a few events before it's over. He's still got what a little a, time. A, I think, like, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, the IRS got involved on something like this. You know, I don't think they will, and I'll tell you why. Uh, the IR, All the government agencies are very selfish unless they need each other. So you would think that when there's something like this, the IRS would, would then be contacted saying, hey, I bet there's a lot of undeclared income here. But they're never that never seems to be the case unless they need the IRS's help. It's like they don't see a need to help the IRS. It just adds complication to their lives and to their work, so they don't bother. They just they just focus on what they're doing, and they only go to the IRS if it is something that they need from the IRS for this case. And 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 uh, you would think it's a natural progression to where if you get busted on state level charges that. They would then inform the feds, hey, maybe you want a piece of this too, but they don't. It just doesn't ever happen that way. And I think it's just kind of selfishness between government departments. What if someone tipped them off, though? Don't you think they would take a look at it? They might, but believe it or not, uh, the IRS IRS actually has a reward system for if you tip them off to a a tax dodger – and then they find the person really did dodge taxes and they recover money from those people, that the person who gives the tip gets a reward. Now, before all of you drop everything and go report people you think might be dodging their taxes, don't bother. Because the IRS knows that this will create a horrible free roll situation where everyone just starts reporting everyone they could think might be dodging their taxes, and if they get lucky with one of them, they get paid. So in order to put a stop to this free rolling... The rule is that you have to present actual evidence that the person is doing this. So you can't even say, like, hey, this guy was my best friend. He used to tell me that he was dodging his taxes. They, they, won't, they won't take action. And if they do take action, you won't get any money because you cannot present any evidence. Now, if you were over at your friend's house and secretly copied files off his computer that prove he was dodging his taxes, then, then you'll get your reward if they can prove you know, he did it and collect money from him. But if you just give a tip... Not only won't you get your reward, but they usually won't even investigate it, knowing that so many people give tips either thinking they'll get a reward just by free rolling or out of maliciousness. That uh, let, Let's say there's someone you hate that you think could be dodging his taxes, and you'd love to see this guy get in trouble, even if you don't get anything out of it yourself, that you just report him, and if he hasn't been, then it doesn't hurt you any. And if he has been, well, then he goes to jail and you get to laugh at him. So the IRS also is... Mindful that people who report these things are often doing this for their own selfish purposes to get back at someone they dislike. So, so, so basically, the IRS uh, they they don't take to, they don't tend to take action on tips unless it's accompanied with hard evidence that they can immediately look at and say, "Oh, this is happening for sure." Here's another question I had for you. Uh, like, I'm sure there's a lot of like degenerate poker players out there that like bink scores or whatever or just don't. Don't report their taxes. I mean, outside of obviously, we know like the stuff that came up about Eric Lingren. But have you heard of a lot of audits from like professional poker players? No, there have been. I, I haven't, and I'm surprised, but I haven't. They right. they just don't seem to be going after that. And I think like the live ones, I I admit are probably tough to audit. The online players, I'm surprised that they're not audited more, because there's a long trail of bank deposits and wires back in reference. And if these, if this income was not declared, then sh- open and shut case case against them. Uh, I've always felt like 
playing online poker, when I do cash outs, I go, I can't hide this from the IRS because if they ever question it, the, I'm going to be dead. They'll, they'll see these bank deposits and wires and all that. They'll see what I got and I can't undo those. So then I'll be dead to rights for tax evasion. So I go, I've got, you know, when I get these, any of these online poker payments, of course I have to report it. But there's a lot of people who don't do it either because they want to dodge taxes or out of laziness, they just don't bother with it. They just go, ah, right. I don't get a tax return. I don't get a W-2. You know, you know I, I'm just, I'm just going to pretend that I'm, I'm not working. I'm just not going right. to, like not even so much to avoid the money. There's also players who chunk off everything they win. Right. And if you chunk it off in the same calendar year, then you don't owe taxes. But if you chunk it off the next year, if you win a bunch of money in December and chunk it off in January, you owe a lot of back taxes. Right. That's why I think, like, a lot of people that bank these tournament scores in, like, January, a lot of them probably play, like, higher events, maybe take shot at, like, some of those high rolls and stuff. Because if you're doing it legitimately, you're going to have to pay 50% anyway. So why wouldn't you take a shot to win another million or two million if, you know, you could just... If you're, you can write it off anyways. Yeah, you're definitely getting, you're getting a cheaper buy-in for sure if you just hit something big at the beginning of the year. The only downside is if you win, then you're also getting a reduced winnings because your, your income's already so high. But it is, I I can still see to where uh, it's, it's easier to want to take the risk when you know that you're paying such a high percentage of that in taxes anyway, and you can write off 100% of your buy-in against what you won. If you lose, so why not? So I can understand that. Yeah. All right. Hey, I have to step out for a second. I'll be back. I'm going to mute this, but I'll just come back on when I, in a few minutes. Okay. No problem. Okay. So Tenny Maniac taking a break. Yeah. I got to run to the bathroom. You got to run to the bathroom. Okay. So some tax talk there. We didn't expect to have here and uh Oh, the mute's not working very well. It was making an echo, so I had to hang up on him. He's welcome to come back when he's done with the bathroom. The mute was creating some kind of weird feedback. Let's look what else we have tonight. Oh, a Rio guest claims that security came into his room and opened the safe for someone who was not registered as a guest there, didn't look at his ID, and that guy stole his money. Oh, my goodness. Oh, no. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe that happened. Shame on you, Rio Security. So here's the story. And, of course, you always have to take these with a grain of salt because they're usually not what they seem. And I think in this case, again, it's not what it seems. And you have to just, as much as I criticize Caesars and the Rio... You have to look at these with the proper skepticism. You have to understand these people often have reasons to make these reports to the internet. And often it was from their own failings that they're now trying to blame on the Rio. So here is what this guy wrote. He called himself Coach McGurk, which is a character from an animated show called Home Movies. Actually, a pretty good show. Coach McGurk wrote the following. Hi, guys. I was the person whose rooms 
safe was broken into. I was going to make a post the next day or two, but my friend saw my post on the Rio Facebook page and went ahead and made this thread. So someone else started the thread and talked about it, and this guy came in and told the whole story. He just told me about creating this thread, so I guess I'll make the official one for the incident. For starters, let me say that I'm well aware that my roommate screwed up big time. Oh, let me let me back up here because this guy's continuing for the, what this other person said. Uh, basically, the story was that this guy, Coach McGurk, had a roommate in the Rio. The roommate did not know the combinations of the safe, even though they were both keeping their money here. Coach McGurk and the roommate were keeping their money in the same safe, but only Coach McGurk had the password for reasons unexplained. Then Coach McGurk was out of the room, and the roommate brought back a guy, allegedly, named Omar Ganim is uh, someone who's part of the East Coast poker scene. Honestly, he doesn't have the best reputation. But he brought back Omar Ghanim, who's not even a close friend of his, apparently. He just brought him back to the room for unknown reasons. I guess they smoked pot together. And then the roommate left and left Omar in the room by himself, which is already a pretty bad decision. The roommate came back half an hour later, found that Omar's bags were missing, which I'll explain in a second, and that there was an envelope sitting on the table, an empty envelope, and then called up Coach McGurk and said, oh my God, I think Omar got into our safe somehow. And uh, they found out that what happened was Omar called security, said, can you please open this safe? I forgot the password. They didn't ID Omar. They just opened it for him, and Omar took the money and ran. That's the story. And the reason for the post was to bash the Rio for their security just opening up the safe for anyone without checking ID. So did this really happen is the question. So going on with what Coach McGurk wrote on 2 plus 2. For starters, let me say I'm well aware that my roommate screwed up big time by allowing this guy to stay in the room by himself. He was clearly a broke, degenerate poker player, and I never had a good feeling around him. I was very upset with him right after the incident, but I can't change what he did. However, that doesn't change the fact that the Rio fucked up big time by opening the safe for Omar when his name was not on the room. For the record, I had $6,500 in the safe, and my roommate had 10000 in the safe. So his roommate, for some reason, put 10000 in the safe that he didn't have access to, because only Coach McGurk had the password. Pretty tired right now, so I don't feel like rehashing that entire night, but I'll give a few important notes. The incident seems to have occurred approximately 10.30 p.m. on Thursday night. My roommate was playing craps at the time of the incident. I was in the poker room. My roommate went to talk to me in the poker room around 11.45 and left to go to the room a little after midnight. About 10 minutes later, I get a frantic call from him, freaking out because Omar's bags were suddenly missing, and Omar wasn't answering his phone after responding to several texts until roughly 30 minutes prior. I hustled up to the room immediately and tried to open the safe. I was the only person who knew the code. The code had been changed and the safe was no longer open. I feared the worst almost immediately when I saw an envelope I had filled with cash of the safe now lying empty on the coffee table. We, of course, called security right after that and got a security guard up there within a few minutes. However, maintenance took close to 15 minutes. That is maintenance to open the safe. Sure enough, when maintenance came to open it, it was empty. By the way, when all this happened, nobody asked to see any identification from me one time. Me and my roommate spent the next three or four hours filing a police report and giving statements to the Las Vegas Police Department as well as filling out an incident report with the casino. I couldn't figure out for the life of me how the safe got open. This guy was never even in the room once when I had opened or closed the safe. 
Later that night, I was talking to the Rio supervisor of security that night. He told me in private that a call was placed from the room at approximately 1030 to hotel maintenance to open the safe. Before he told me this, he was very adamant that I didn't tell anyone else about this. He made sure that I wasn't recording him and threatened to sue me if I recorded him without his knowledge. (laughs) So this guy's confiding in him, but threatening to sue him at the same time. The few times I've talked to the Rio since, they've refused to acknowledge or give any information regarding times or anything the hotel maintenance might or might not have done because it's an active investigation. Apparently the next day, another security person on the floor acknowledged to my roommate that the Rio, quote, fucked up and didn't allow protocol or didn't follow protocol, but I did not personally hear this conversation. So basically all this comes down to the fact that the Rio opened a room safe for a person whose name was not on the room because they did not check any identification. I apologize for that long-winded paragraph, but just wanted to rattle off as much pertinent information as I could. As to the scumbag who did this, his name is Omar Ghanim. Apparently, he had one big score at some Borgata attorney. He was begging my roommate for a stake in one of the nightlies and kept making excuses about how his Western Union transfer was being delayed. Standard broke degenerate stuff, I guess. The police in Harrah's do not have his, his information, so I suspect he will or do have all his information, so I suspect he'll be caught eventually because I doubt he'll be able to help himself from entering the pit at some point in the future. But if anyone, especially in Atlantic City, sees this guy in the next couple of weeks, I'd appreciate it if you could let me know. To make matters worse, the Rio said they would comp my next two nights and ended up charging me afterwards. Three days later, I still haven't gotten it fixed. I'm waiting to hear back from the front desk manager working that night. So yeah, this pretty much soured my trip. Wasn't motivated to play any other bracelet events after this. Wasn't in the right frame of mind. I'm currently filing a report with risk management who handle these type of situations. Some people are saying that I should try to find a lawyer locally, but I'm honestly not sure what the best recourse is at this point. So, sounds like a very sympathetic story, where it sounds like the guy got screwed both by Omar and the Rio for opening up the safe for Omar without checking who he is. But wait, there's some holes in this story, some pretty damn big holes. A user named Crunky on 2 Plus 2 pointed out four of these holes. Number one, if the Rio really did open the safe for someone without ID who is not on the room list, they should at least comp you one night. I'd say this is the max as you can't prove how much money was in there. There's a mistake. That's actually not true. It shouldn't be the max, but uh, let's ignore that one. Number two, you say Omar was just up to the room to smoke weed with your roommate, yet later you say you rushed up to the room because you noticed Omar's bags were missing. Seems odd that he has multiple bags that he just carries around with him all the time. I'd assume they'd be in his actual room or he was actually staying in yours. Now, that's really weird. What do you mean Omar's bags were gone? His bags were gone? So, okay, the roommate meets Omar somewhere on the casino floor, the poker room floor, and says, hey, dude, let's go up to the room and smoke out. All right. Why does Omar have bags with him? Why is he dragging bags all around the Rio? Do you know anyone walking around the poker tournament area carrying multiple bags? No. So why were Omar's bags in the room? And why were the lack of Omar's bags indication that he had ripped you guys off? Why were bags in your room in the first place? So why was that never explained? Number three, your roommate was okay with you, with having $10,000 in a safe that only you knew the code to? It's a good question. Why are they not sharing the code? They're sharing the safe. Why would his roommate have been okay that Coach McGurk has access to all the money and the roommate has access to none, especially when they are separated fairly often. Like like Coach McGurk is down in the poker room. The roommate, he can't get access to it because only Coach McGurk has the code. 
It's weird. Why was the roommate okay with that? Number four, I can't seem to find the answer to the question of another poster. How is it known the Rio did not check the IDs? Is there record or acknowledgement? Did Omar text you guys after the fact to let you know that the plan was still on? <laughs> so he's saying, okay, if let's say Omar got in the safe somehow, how do you know that that's what happened? These are good questions. And I thought about it some, and I said, you know, this this doesn't sound right to me. Now, I think that Coach McGurk is telling the truth. I think that he's the victim here. But I don't think that the roommate's innocent, and I don't think this is what it seems to be, even if the Rio really did forget to check ID. How is it possible that both these things are true? Well, I will tell you. Trying to put China Maniac back on, by the way, and he's not answering. Having some issue. The person whom you're trying to reach is currently unavailable. Please leave a message after the... (laughs) Gotta love Skype. See what the chat room has to say. Real Talk says, funny in these scenarios, the person is always super tired or had a long night when they decide to respond so they're not going to get too (laughs) in-depth. Yeah, it's true. It's true. They They never come out and say, hey, I'm here to take all questions. Let me give you all the details. Ask me whatever you want. This guy, I'm tired. I can't tell you everything, and I've got to go. <laughs> it's true. But I actually think uh, Coach McGurk is probably innocent in this one. Not for sure, but probably. But I think the roommate took him for a ride, and I think that Omar may very well be in cahoots, even if the Rio did screw up. So here are my thoughts. I, I think it's possible that it really went down like this. The roommate was in the room. First of all, the roommate uh, was... was uh, I don't know why the roommate uh, would have allowed them to put the money together. But he realized it. He realized he had no access to the safe. And that uh, if anything disappeared from there, that he could never be blamed because he has no access. So the roommate's up in the room smoking pot with Omar. Omar is not a close friend of his. He's just there. Omar leaves. Omar says, all right, thanks for the pot, bro. I'm out of here. Takes off. The roommate then needed access to his money in the safe but didn't have the combination. So, you know, Coach McGurk's down there playing poker. Roommate just wants his money. He doesn't want to steal, necessarily. He just wants to get his money out, his own money, and he can't because he doesn't have the combo. So the roommate says, hey, I know what I can do. I can call maintenance, security, whatever, have them come up and open the safe for me because my name's on the room, too. So he does that. He calls up and says, hey, come up and open the safe for me. Security or maintenance shows up and opens the safe and forgets to ask him for his ID. And then the roommate has a light bulb pop over his head. He says, wait a minute. If they didn't ask me for ID, number one, they don't know who I am. And number two, I could have easily been Omar. So what if, quote, Omar did the exact same thing I did when I was, quote, not in the room and all the money got stolen? Wouldn't that be a shame? And I don't know Omar, and he has a bad rep, and I don't even like him that much, so F him. I'm going to blame him for this. So... The roommate then goes back down and uh, meets up very temporarily with uh, Coach McGurk in the poker room, says hello to him, whatever he did down there. Goes back to the room, and 10 minutes later, oh, my God, oh, my God, I think something's wrong. Omar's bags are gone. Omar's bags are gone. Oh, oh, I think this is a problem. Omar's bags are gone. 
And then Coach McGurk runs up to the room, and there's that envelope on the table. Frantic and China Maniac, and I cannot. Oh, here we are. China Maniac, hello. Yep, I'm back. So, so you're familiar with this this whole story with the Coach McGurk and the Rio room theft, right? Yeah, I read. Um, I read. I just read basically what though they wrote yeah. happened or whatever. I don't. I, I don't know exactly what happened. Or I don't really have any theories on it. So yeah, I was. I was giving one. So so basically, uh, the roommate. The roommate says, "Oh my God, this this happened. Come up here." He runs up there, and then there's this envelope on the table. This empty envelope, which once had Coach McGurk's money in it. It's like, oh my God, all of our money's gone. And then they, the safe is, has its password changed, so they have to get them to open it, and lo and behold, it's empty. And then the roommate pretends to be freaking out that Omar and his bags are gone and that Omar did it. Uh, by the way, uh, someone corroborated that they weren't 100% sure, but they said they, on the same night this happened, they were like right across in the Rio and heard yelling back and forth about this. So they believe there really was an argument between Coach McGurk and the roommate about this whole thing. So I believe Coach McGurk probably was a victim here and, and is not just pretending to have lost the money, but really did lose the money. And he was stolen by most likely the roommate and maybe the roommate and Omar in cahoots. But uh, uh, I, I just think that this is so weird that the roommate agrees to keep the money in there. And may, maybe he had the plan in mind from the beginning. It's, he's going to – this is a way to give him plausible deniability if it disappears. Or maybe he just – did this and then realized later this is a good opportunity to steal. Or maybe, as I said, maybe he wasn't even thinking of stealing. He just needed to get in the safe, and then once it got opened with no ID, he realized now he has the perfect scheme. And uh, so it's possible that Rio really did stupidly open it without asking for ID, and then the roommate realized what he could steal. Uh, if you China Maniac, if you are the roommate or Omar... Let's say you're Omar. Forget the roommate. Let's say you're Omar and you really have done this and you've gotten them to open up the safe with $16,500 in it and of other people's money and there's nobody else in the room with you. If you steal the 16500 do you take the time to open up the envelope and then leave the envelope sitting there with your fingerprints on it or do you take the whole envelope? Yeah, I imagine the whole envelope's coming with me. Yeah, why would you open the envelope and leave an empty envelope on the table? It's it's that, that's another weird thing in the whole story is the empty envelope. Like like the roommate had to set it up, like to to explain why he discovered this has happened because the, the roommate it, it has to make up an excuse of why he's calling up in the panic that Omar just did this. And the reason you may say why not just let uh, Coach McGurk discover this the next day? Well, the more time that passes since Omar left the room the more time there is to suspect that the roommate did it. So so the roommate wants to basically say, Omar just left, his bags are missing, which I still don't understand why those bags were there. And 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 I see an empty envelope. We've got to get the safe opened and see what's going on. So Well didn't didn't they say that Omar tried to um check into the Rio or something and he couldn't check in, so his bags were brought up to the room? Was that later in the thread? I didn't I didn't see that. I didn't see I that. think so. I okay. think they said that he was saying he was waiting for, like, a Western Union or something that didn't come through, and then he wound up just taking his bags up to the room or something like yeah. that. Well, look, it's possible that this is what happened. There's just too many things that are weird here, including the, the empty envelope, the fact that the roommate didn't ever have the combination to the, the safe, the fact that, uh, yeah, that, you know, that, that 
that he suddenly suspects it just because he sees an envelope on the table and Omar's bag's missing. It's just it, it all, and, and it's just within minutes of when this happens. It's it's all too inconvenient to me. I I still have to. Th- and why was the roommate bringing Omar up here in the first place if he doesn't know him very well? And why was he leaving him alone in the room? It's it's very possible too that Omar and the roommate are in cahoots. Maybe they even came up with this idea. Maybe the roommate says, "Hey, I'm going to leave Omar. Call security. See if they'll call maintenance. See if they'll open it." And then, uh, if they open it, we can, you know, if they open you for, you, if they refuse to open it for you, then no big deal. Then just they go away, nothing happens. If they open it, then let's steal the money, and and blame this uh, on the on the Rio being stupid and letting you open it. You know, you can keep this much for, uh, you know, you can be the fall guy for this and just run away, and uh, nothing will happen. Like I, I don't know. It's but I I have to think it's more likely that Omar's just being either be, Omar's being blamed or this really happened this way and it just looks really bad. Yeah, but like you said, I never really thought about that, about the envelope. But if your intention is to steal, if you're Omar and you're stealing it, wouldn't you think you're just grabbing the envelope and just kind of bolting out the envelope? Right, right. You don't sit there and open it. You don't sit there and carefully open it. "Hmm, What's in there? Oh, cash. Well, let me carefully take the cash out and and stuff it in my pocket. And I'll just leave the envelope right here as evidence. No problem. Bye-bye. Like, why? Just grab the whole thing and run. Or even if you did, like, open the envelope and take all the cash wouldn't like why bring it to a table and like you throw it in the trash leave it on do whatever with it you know yeah. or just take the whole thing yeah why why leave the envelope behind it makes no sense is it hard to carry an envelope like i i don't get it so has has anything come out on this like is like obviously the the kid that they're gonna check security cameras and stuff i'd imagine right no there isn't because there's no security cameras in the hallway no right. security cameras in the room so there's really not much that can be proven here. The only thing is the security guards involved in opening up the safe, they could, I guess they could describe who they opened it up for. And Couldn't that's, they see who came out of, like, elevators or something like that in the main casino uh, at those times? Probably not. Maybe. Maybe they could look at the elevators. It's uh, just amazing that there's no cameras in all the hallways. I, I never mean, understood it's... that. I I understand. I think they're doing it because, like, if you're bringing a prostitute back to your room or something, you don't want it known. Like, I think I think it's like to give the whole vibe like you're in privacy in Vegas and the the, the, the eyes aren't watching you, but they're, but they're watching you in the elevator. So, like, if you have the prostitute with you in the elevator, it's the same right. thing as the hallway. So I don't get this. Like, I I never understood the hallway. I understand the room thing. Like, you don't want some prying eyes in your room looking at you naked or having sex or whatever, but. I can even understand the bathroom why there's no cameras, but why is there no cameras in the hallway? In fact, this came into play when Greg Raymer was mugged in the hallway in the Bellagio, that there was no cameras of the incident. They, they figured out who yeah. these guys were anyway, but... There they, should be, especially, like, in a predatory place like Vegas, where there's so many scammers, people getting robbed. Like, it wouldn't cost that much. I mean, you just have a camera that runs constantly, and it just goes... You know, to a hard drive or something. Yeah, I don't know why they don't do it. And and I, I once had a situation where I had $100,000 cash with me in the room temporarily. I didn't leave it in the room, but I had it with me. Someone brought it to me. I won't get into the details, but someone – no, it was not a drug deal. But someone brought $100,000 cash to me, and and boy was I terrified getting that cash from – the room down to uh, down to where I wanted to put it in a, in a safety deposit box. I was so worried that uh, the person who had brought it, who I didn't know that well, it, and uh, you say why why someone I don't know that well, you know he he had to trust me. I didn't have to trust him because he was bringing me the money. But uh, um, 
it, it was it was basically on behalf of somebody else. That's what, what I have to say here. But uh, um, I was worried that perhaps the guy who brought it to me then set someone else up to mug me on the way out of the room and steal the money back. And I, I, I'd like peep my head out and look down the hallway. And I was like, I was, you know, I walked down the hallway once without the money and left it in the room. Like I, I, I was really, really paranoid. And when I got into that elevator and got back out into like the main area of the hotel, I, I felt so relieved right. that, uh, that this hadn't happened. Not that I thought it would, but it was just, uh, I was like, damn, why don't they have cameras in that hallway? Like they, they could just hide someone here to pop out and mug me here and pull a gun on me and take the hundred K back. And there'd be nothing I could do or I can never even prove I had the, you know, like, like if the guy got away with it, I could never prove that I was set up. Right. So, fortunately, that didn't happen. This was many years ago, by the way. But uh, anyway, that's yeah. I've never understood why they don't have the the hallway. Jay Stats saying no casino money is in the hallway is why waste the resources. <laughs> yeah, nobody understands the envelope. Why, why would you ever leave that behind? Nobody understands the envelope. It's really weird. It just looks like a prop that was left. Like, hey, look. We just got stolen from. Here's the envelope. Like, <laughs> it looks like a prop that's left there, like you'd see on TV. Not, not right. something that would happen in real life. You, you just take the envelope if you're the thief. You don't leave it. Why would you ever leave it behind? So, very weird story. I, I can't take it at face value. Something weird is going on with that. And did the Rio forget to ask I for ID? Very possible. The Rio makes a lot of dumb mistakes. But, I mean, there, there are plenty of dumb mistakes made here, including. Uh, the roommate bringing this Omar up there, if he isn't guilty, then he was at least guilty of stupidity. And also, you have to know someone really well to keep your money with theirs in the same safe. Like I never understood Rio roommates. Like, like, so one guy has 6500 with him, one has 10000 and they've got to get roommates at the Rio? Why? Right. Just get your own damn room. All right. Or stay somewhere cheaper. Like... The, why? Why roommates? Why? Or, or why would the second guy leave Omar in the room? Yeah, the seventeen k in the safe. Yeah, you know. Yeah, well, we don't know him that well. Let's we'll leave Omar in the room. It's it's so strange. Like people do dumb things, but the whole thing's so strange. But I, the roommate, there's always a roommate story. Last year there were roommate stories. There were two different roommate stories about uh, money going missing from the safe. It's always a roommate involved. It's never like the person's by themselves and the money disappears. It's, it always seems to be a, a roommate is involved in some way. So right. I, I and these some of these people with the roommates are high stakes players. I just don't get it. I don't get these roommates. Your question is: there, Is there any possibility they'll ever move the World Series to another property, or is there any other property that they own that would be capable of like hosting it? Um, only Caesars, and Caesars has some logistical issues with parking and other things. So I, I don't think so. Caesars does have some big convention areas, kind of by the pools. Right. But uh, I, I think logistically. It wouldn't work out that well. And number one, those areas are kind of hard to find. The Rios, it's a lot easier. You just It's all on the ground level. These are like on the second floor and the third floor. It's kind of hard to find. If you, In fact, I know Caesars well. If you told me to go to the Caesars convention area right now, I'd have a little little bit of a hard time getting there. And, right. and, and second, they, the parking would be an issue. Caesars is always pretty busy with the parking in the first place. If you add all the World Series players, there would they just wouldn't have the capacity. So... I right. think that's why they don't do it, and I think that Plus the has, cost of rooms is probably too much for the average World Series of poker player, too. That's another problem, yeah. And Now, I don't know what they would do if the Rio... They are trying to sell the Rio, and the question is, if they do sell the Rio, what do they do as far as moving the, 
the tournament. I don't know where else they would hold it, but maybe some of the other properties do have something that I don't know about. Maybe Bally's has something. Maybe uh, Flamingo has something. I, I don't know. But the parking, you really need something that is set up for large conventions. And they don't have that anywhere except the Rio as far as their properties, as far as I know. Right. S- set up for large conventions, meaning parking-wise, too, not even just uh, having the room for it. So I, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to move it from the Rio. But that's, that's really all the Rio is used for these days. The Rio is really becoming a, a big-time has-been. I can't picture what it's like. I've only really been there during the World Series. It must be so dead when the series isn't going on. It is extremely dead. And I, I've been there a few times, and it's just everything's empty. Right. It, it's dead. It's empty. Uh, the rooms will fill somewhat because it's a place to stay in Vegas, and it's cheap when it's not during the World Series. So, And it isn't the greatest location, but at least it's uh, fairly close to the Strip. So... People stay there, but... And, and boy, I can tell you, that Masquerade Tower is a really crappy tower. That's just... it's The elevators are slow. Uh, you know, you get in there, there's a bunch of people, they're pressing a bunch of different floors, it takes forever to get up to the top. All these maintenance problems. It, it's it's much more depressing to be in the Masquerade Tower than the Ipanema Tower. Right. But it's a huge upgrade from Binion's, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and so, someone's texting me, Google dumbest criminals, and you'll see examples of this. So it's not impossible that Omar was just a dumb criminal who opens up the envelope and leaves it behind. But it does cast some doubt on the story. So, all right, let's uh, get to the last topic. Then I'm going to shut this down. I don't know where Brandon is tonight, but he didn't promise he'd be here. He said that he was confused about the date that the show would be and that by the time I told him, he already had this dinner scheduled, so we'll give him a pass. So anyway, the WPT, World Poker Tour, has been sold to a Chinese company, a Chinese gaming company. Uh, it was actually owned for six years by B-Win Parties. A party poker actually owned the WPT. That's why they had the WPT skin for party poker that failed. Uh, The brand was described as languishing over the last six years. Didn't really do very much for B-Win Party, so they decided to get rid of it. They have sold the WPT to a Chinese gaming company called R-Game International. It's O-U-R-G-A-M-E International Limited. It was sold for $35 million dollars. And a press release said the transaction was done on a debt-free, cash-free basis. So, B-Win Party, which is struggling, will actually have a positive impact on their temporary books. It'll make it look like they're making money because they just got a $35 million cash infusion. But uh, there's been a lot of competitors attempting to take over B-Win Party including poker stars, as we've discussed before, Amaya. Over the last decade, B-Win Party has lost 90%, actually more than 90% of its market value. And they've had operational losses over the past several years, which is amazing because online poker should be a cash cow. 
They've tried to cut costs, but they are still in the red, just not managed very well, apparently. Uh, not much is known about our game, who bought the WPT, but uh, China has been, <laughs> you know, it's been seen as a potential, a large potential for the expansion of poker. So perhaps our game bought it for that reason, because it's a largely untapped market in China. And it's already a popular gaming company in China producing board games. And uh, poker is known and played in China, but it's not all that popular yet. It's growing, but it's not that popular yet. But there, there could be a poker boom in China eventually. It's a, it's a huge country, like 1.6 billion people, way bigger than the U.S. And they, in the Chinese culture, there's a lot of gambling in the first place. So but it's it, only, isn't it sectioned off to certain parts of the country? Yeah, it is. But uh, still, if there's a big influx of Chinese poker players, that could really lead to a new poker boom, provided that the U.S. players can play against them, because it's... Uh, you know, imagine a huge group of novice players entering the market that weren't there before. So uh, the here was a statement from WPT President and CEO Adam Pliska. Having already established an exciting partnership with our game, our high, a high growth company by led by an enthusiastic group that is fully invested in the global growth of poker. We are delighted now to become a fully integrated member of the R Game family. I want to thank BWIN Party CEO uh, Nor- Norbert uh, Tufelberger and BWIN Party CFO Martin Wellgold for all of their support over the last six years in helping facilitate this agreement. This came from Pliska, who is the WPT CEO. And on Twitter, Pliska said, my last tweet before Twitter is off in Beijing, but happy to announce the acquisition of WPT by our game. Friends and partners so delighted. So we will see what happens. We'll see if this really matters as far as the World Poker Tour. It's kind of World Poker Tour has kind of become a somewhat of a has been over the last few years. So we will see if this matters at all, or if it will continue languishing. As described before, I, I just got a tweet from a guy who goes by uh, Big Risky. Said he fully agrees with Dylan Lind, who is saying that I'm wrong about the noise during the extended play no limit event. That uh, there should not be any kind of restrictions on this. That I'm just making a big deal over nothing. I, I'm surprised people think this. Honestly, I'm surprised that. People are fine with deafening noise during bracelet events they're playing. Why should we have to put up with it? Why? Why Why can't they put some limits on how much crazy cheering and singing? And why can't they say, you know, please only cheer it, uh, you know, uh, during the, you know, at the end of the hand or something like that? Why can't they move it to like a smaller side room? That's a better question. I've, I asked that too. Why can't they redo the whole thing and move it into its own room and not put other bracelet events in there. Well, I've they o- could put it in like a, almost like a bubble with like glass around it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Something I, like that. I, I mean, I, didn't, I, they, didn't they have something like that in Vegas, like during the poker boom? Where yeah, yeah, like... the poker dome or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they need to do something. It's, it's just not fair. I've said before, you need to be able to play these bracelet events in peace and under 
reasonable circumstances means the temperature can't be too hot. You you can't uh, have too much distraction, too much noise. I'm not saying it has to be whisper quiet like a golf tournament, but it it has to be a reasonable casino environment without massive distractions. And this is a massive distraction. And I wasn't the only one who thought this. But I, I think people are afraid to say anything about it publicly because it makes it look like they're they're trying to tell others not to cheer for their friends at the final table. It makes you look like a jerk to say that. But right. but your final table is not more important than the other events running. They should be equally important. So just as I would not be allowed to go disrupt the final table, they should not be allowed to disrupt my event. Yeah, think about it. Any poker room you've ever played in, there's never noise like that. No, never. And if there was, you could complain about it and they put a stop to it. Yeah, they would just kick whoever out, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like. So I, I think this is crap. Oh, let people cheer. Well, f- let people cheer, but not, not not to distract the other events, not to really, really cause a problem. And there's one thing between, oh, I don't want to hear any noise from over there to constant noise. Just constant noise. So what was it, just nonstop cheering? It was more, worse than that. It was constant singing, right. chanting, screaming. It was even yeah, described it's... as the most ruckus crowd of the World Series, and that's not exaggerating. Right. Yeah, I've seen clips like that on ESPN, like from the main event when they get down to the final table. Like, uh, I remember, like, like singing, like, uh, certain anthems from countries when, like, yeah. you know, a player has, like, 30 people behind them there. And they edit a lot of that. I can't imagine, like, how much that's going on. But that's different because, at least the main event, it's like um, there's no- nothing going on around it. It's in the penitentiary. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's the last thing. Yeah, so there's no more. There's no more. Yeah, right. I also said this is can be distracting to other people who are in the event, who are at the final table, who don't have 30 people to cheer for them, and it's almost like creating an unfair home field advantage for certain players. But but at least you can say, well, these players, they have a right to bring whoever they want to. They just didn't bring them, so they, they have to deal with that. But but the other events have no control over it. The other events, they're just stuck. You're stuck in that room. You cannot move. You're stuck hearing it. It's not fair. Right. And I was thrilled when the, when it was over. I was absolutely thrilled when I heard the whole thing was over. And speaking of what's over, so is the show. Thank you for making it out here if uh, you did listen live. And if you listen to the archives, thank you for listening as well. Thank you, Shiny Maniac, for joining me for much of this show so I was not alone. Tomorrow, 4 p.m., follow at Dandruff Poker to see how I'm doing at the $10,000 Limit Hold'em event. By far the biggest event I play, aside from the main event coming up in July. That'll be my third to last event of the World Series. I'll also be playing the weird 50-50 event where 50% of the people cash on Saturday. And then that's it. Then the main event, and I'm over. So only three events left for me. I'll only have played eight events total this year at the World Series of Poker. And... Looking forward to this 10K limit. I'm hoping that I can have a year there like I did uh, in 08, 13, where I cashed in the event. Hopefully not 12, where I stone-bubbled it. Hopefully not last year, where I uh, was the second person out of the whole event. So, follow that if you want. And the next, the next show will be on June 30th and that show will be taking place from back in my main location so I won't be at the Rio don't bother trying to prank my Rio room on the 30th I won't be in the Rio anymore and uh, then comes the main event 
but next week will be on our regular scheduled night of June 30th. And I guess that's it. Hopefully we'll have Brandon with us next week. I'll make sure to notify him further in advance. But don't give him a hard time. I'm, I'm happy he's back on the show. Thank you, China Maniac, for joining us. And that'll be it for tonight. I'll get a good night of sleep. Sleep off the remainder of this cold, which still is here, but manageable. Take my best shot tomorrow at the 10K limit. Hopefully I run well and get some good table draws. And we'll see what happens. Good night, everybody. And shalom. Good night.